Something magic happens Every time you go You make the magic happen The magic of Orioles baseball When the game is close And the O's are hot There's a thundering roar from 34 To give it all they've got And you never know Who's gonna hear the call Every game does a different start That's the magic of Oreo's division and we are american league eastern division champions in the year of our lord 2023 let's go welcome to an episode of the amatelica tis podcast i'm your host josh shields as you can already tell boy do we have a jam-packed show before i get into that land let me just take the beginning of this show to uh Sing the praises of my Baltimore Orioles right quick. As you guys know, been a fan of this team uh, since I was three years old, 2005-2006. And when it comes to baseball, the team that I've loved for years, the team that I, the only team that I've known for for years, the first sports team that I've ever fallen in love with, uh, was in, was my Baltimore Orioles, and uh, I've seen. A lot of bad and a lot of ugly throughout uh, throughout my fandom from time I was a little kid, you know, going from ages three to nine with seeing my team in last place, you know, losing 90, 100 games, just being irrelevant in the greater uh, in the greater uh, collection of Major League Baseball. 
seeing them, you know, make the playoffs for the first time in my lifetime, seeing them finish with a record above 500, winning 90 plus games the first time in my lifetime, 2012. Who can forget the 2014 season? They won the division, uh, which is which was the first time that's ever happened uh, in my lifetime, winning 96 games, making it to the ALCS. Um, and then, of course, the heartbreak, you know, that followed soon after. The 500 season, which they had a bad second half the year after in 2015. 2016, I will take to my grave, Buck Showalter keeping – Zach Britton in the bullpen in that uh, 12th inning, I believe it was. Uh, it might have been the 13th, but I th- believe it was the 12th inning. That wild card game against the uh, Toronto Blue Jays and Edwin Encarnacion hitting the walk-off three-run home run off of Obaldo Jimenez. 2017, another second-half collapse. And then the wheels uh, fell off in 2018. You know, seeing the last of Adam Jones and the last of Zach Britton and the last of Brad Brock, Darren O'Day, and obviously, you know, there's been two Orioles in my lifetime that I've cried, actually real tears, actual tears, and them leaving my team. First one was Nick Markakis after the 2014 season, and the second one was Manny Machado when he got traded in uh, the trade deadline of 2018. And sports has a funny way of coming around full circle because who was the starting pitcher that not only started last night, but got the job done and recorded the victory for the Orioles to lock up the division. And it was Dean Kramer, a guy who the Orioles had traded for, who came out of the Dodgers organization, who they traded for and they got in return in the Manny Machado trade five uh, summers ago. How did Dean Kramer pitch? When one of his more impressive outings of the season, where if had not Jorge Mateo been able to field a ground ball at shortstop in the sixth inning, he would have went. He would have went the full uh, six and would have gotten out of there with uh, nearly a scratch. Five and a third, two hits, walked one batter, shutout innings. Five and a third of shutout inning baseball, two hits surrendered, one walk, struck out eight. Baseball is a funny way, and sports has a, has a funny way of coming around full circle. And the Orioles, man, to put it into even more perspective of just a sensational, remarkable, breathtaking, uh, jaw-dropping, sensational season that they've had this year. They are the first team in the 150-some-odd-year history of Major League Baseball to go from 110 losses to a 100-plus win season within a three-game span. 20 matter of fact let me let's pull up the Orioles record okay let's pull up the 2018 Orioles record which was the final year under Buck show under Buck Showalter when the years uh when the wheels came off they went 47 and 115 in 2018 2019 first year under Brandon Hyde they went 54 and 108. Throw the COVID season out the window, finish only two games below 500. 2021, they went 52 and 110. 52 and 110. Worst record in not just the division, but in all of Major League Baseball. Worst record in all of baseball. 
two years later, they win over a hundred games, win the win the toughest division in baseball and arguably of all of American professional sports. They lock up home field advantage and a number one seed throughout the entire American League playoffs in just in a two-season span. And I touched on things of this nature similarly, if you guys remember back when the, well, obviously you remember, but when I was on the air after the Orioles won the AFC North in 2021, two years prior, 2019, like the like with the Orioles, worst team in the sport, worst record in the sport, complete dumpster fire everywhere you look. Roster was a mess. Identity of the team was up in the air. Fans watching the games, you know, were became a miserable experience. Nobody showed up to the ballpark. They were the laughing stock of the sport. Jokes were made ad infinitum left and right everywhere you turned. And then two, and then a short two-year turnaround later, the team is, in the Bengals case, AFC North champions. Orioles case. Just as impressive, if not more, considering that the Orioles, this Orioles team, in terms of record-wise, world's in a regular season, at least as of right now, world's better, world's better than that 2021 Bengals team. 2021 Bengals team, you know, finished with 10 wins in in, in in the regular season, finished with 10 wins. This Orioles team, it's not like that they won the division, you know, 85 and 77 you know they won a division with 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 a win total you know with 88 wins that you know no or wins or a win total in the the low 90s it took this team to win 100 games to lock up the division title which is which is so remarkable man it you, you you can't even put it into words they lost they lost 110 games 2 years ago and 2 years later they have 100 wins and 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 prime with home fit advantage in a prime position where all they need is do the math 3 plus 4 plus 4 that's 4 and 4 is 8 plus the 3 they need 11 wins come next weekend to win the world series which is absolutely sensational. Never when I met Mad Dog for the first time in person, saw him and his son back on that Wednesday in late July of 2021. Never would I have guessed, if you would have told me back then, August, uh, July of 2021, Jai, your team obviously is going. It stinks this year. They're going to finish in last place. They're going to be an afterthought. But two years from now, not only will your team be a winning ball club again in terms of being a competitive team with a with a, a record of above five hundred, but you'll be in playoff contention. You'll win your division. You'll win over a hundred games. And oh, by the way, you'll get home fit advantage throughout the playoffs. If you would have told me that back in July of 2021, when I was walking around the inner har- when I was walking around the inner harbor with Dog and Colin, 
while I while I was standing outside the Sagamore Pentry Hotel waiting for dark to come down, having Chris Davis walk by me like I've like walk by my left shoulder. If you would have told me back in July of 2021 that what has occurred this season would happen two years later, I would have had you drug tested. I'd have said, what, are you kidding me? Do you know the history of the Orioles organization? No such regular season prosperity exists. in my. If you want to talk about regular season prosperity and the Orioles in the same sentence, you have to go back to the 80s, early 80s. You have to go back to the 70s. You have to go back to the late 60s because – Regular season prosperity and 100 wins and they win in the division and best record in the American League. I mean, that, that I mean, to Oriole fans of, of my age, of my age demographic, back then that was considered crazy talk. Sheer and utter cra- crazy talk and, and just like, man, what are you smoking? But believe it or not, it happened. And to make it even more impressive, they did it with the lowest payroll in the sport. Yankees, of course, and we've chronicled the Yankees' struggles from beginning to end all all regular season long, have the highest payroll in the division, $279 million. They're finishing in fourth place this season. The Blue Jays, second highest payroll in the division, $213 million, finishing third place in their playoff chances right now on life support. Red Sox, destined for last place sub-500 record. 101 million, 101, excuse me, 181.4 million dollar payroll in fifth place. The blue, the uh, excuse me, the Tampa Bay Rays, whose payroll is only 900, whose only whose payroll is only 900.3 million, 900, 900,000.3 uh, more, or excuse me, higher than ours. compared to 71 million even. Second place. First place, $71 million. $71 million payroll, and they won the division by 100 games. I mean, that man is completely, completely unheard of. And listen, I've been on him like white on rice for the last God knows how many years. And listen. When you're a fan of a team that's brought you nothing but pain and suffering, the tendency to overreact, the tendency to overanalyze you know, everything and anything, the tendency to go crazy and to have, you know, a short, you know, a, a short fuse in terms of patience. You know, it happens. You guys know me. I want the best. I will, you know, I want the best. I want, um, you know, I, I expect I have, you know, what Al Davis would say all the time with his Raiders, commitment to excellence. Commitment to excellence. And there were times where I, you know, was like, guys, what the, you know, what the, you know, what the hell are we doing? You know, this, this team seems losing. I mean, I, I can't, I can't take much more of this. You know, I only, you only live once and this team is making, is making an ass out of themselves. You know, look, look not even look like a professional ball club out there every night. And there were times, you know, where I criticized Brandon high, you know, the team's dead, the team life, lifeless. They have no heart, no guts. They lack the fundamentals and, you know, and you can find the tweets. Cause I quote tweeted them last night. You can find the tweets 
you know, me calling for Brandon Hyde to be fired. And similar circumstances, you know, with Zach Taylor a few years back applies here. I'm glad that the people that run the franchise don't listen to me. Or better yet, that I'm not the one calling the shots. Because for him to sit through the muck and the mire and just the tedious soul-sucking bull jive that came with those losses and those losing seasons in 19 his first year there, the bleakness of the COVID year the year after that, and then in 2021 getting smacked back with the reality again of your ball club not being any good and losing over 100 games yet again. I mean, and I said this, you know, I said it when they clinched the division, when they uh, clinched the playoff spot, I say it again. You know, it's easy for me and easy for us as fans to sit through a 100-loss season. That's not the easy part. But for us to sit through a 100-loss season with base, you know, especially during the baseball season, and it's easy for us, you know, once training camp opens up, you know, if we have a favorite football team if, or and or if we're big-time diehard football fans, you know, it's easy for us, you know, once August rolls around, we cut we cut the baseball team off. We say, okay, enough of y'all. Y'all stink. See you uh, spring training, uh, February and March of the of the next calendar year. You know, see you when you play regular season games again uh, next April. See you next spring, and we and we indulge ourselves into our favorite football team, NFL, college football, and or both. You know, and then once when once the football season gets sea legs under it. You know, if you are a foot and or excuse me, and then once the football season gets the sea legs under it, then comes NBA, college NBA, NHL, college basketball. And then you can and then from, you know, October and then, you know, during the month of October, November, when everybody else is, you know, when all the other teams remaining are competing for to win a World Series championship, it's like white noise to you because you're so just in the in the thick of you know all the other sports going on in terms of of, of teams you have deep rooting interest for that your favorite baseball team you know is an afterthought complete afterthought and us as fans you know have the luxury of us pulling away you know when 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 times are bad when the times are dire we have the luxury of pulling away you know when it's like okay September August you know I can't, I've had enough you know get the hell away you know season's over not going anywhere there's other sports on I can watch you know I can I can I can walk away from it and not come back until the following season but managers don't have that luxury managers you know Brandon Hyde has to show up to work every day you know hours before first pitch be in the building you know, which which I can't, which I wouldn't be able to, which I wouldn't be able to stomach. Um, he has to be in the building, has to look over the stat sheet, watch film, batting practice, go through all of the managerial duties, knowing good and full damn well that his team, you know, is an embarrassment. That his team's going nowhere. That they're not playing for anything. That they're not winning anything. It's 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 rough. I can imagine. I haven't obviously. I haven't spoken to Brandon Hyde, but I can imagine that 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 that's no fun and, and that's rough. 
to not only sit through the losses on a, you know from a first person have a first person view first person perspective of the of of what you're seeing out there on the field but also knowing that you got to do all the managerial duties behind the scenes before and after you watch the train wreck on a nightly game in game out basis pull up to the stadium and there's nobody and there's nobody there. You play division rivals a la the Yankees and the Red Sox and have the place taken over by by fans of the opposite team. And and just the just the pathetic embarrassment and and, and the soul-sucking mind-numbing, you know, stuff that the managers has just has to sit through and go through and for him to make it out of that not only with his job but with his sanity and then all and then see through and make sure that this team, you know, with the tremendous turnaround that they had last season winning 83 games and then for them to, you know, not only win 80 plus games again, but to make the playoffs and then to win 90 plus games and then to win a division and win over 100 games and lock up the number. I mean, that is just that is a truly outstanding, out freaking standing remarkable feat. And he deserves a ton of credit in the world. This team doesn't quit. They don't die. They any single time you think that they're down for the count, more times than not, they're not, you know, they aren't. You know, they could sleepwalk through a game innings one through eight or one through seven or one through six. And all it takes is either a walk, a hit by pitch, a infield single, whatever. And the team all of a sudden you know, gets lit with the spark and they start and, and they start playing like like they're, you know, like it's game seven of the World Series. And he deserves tremendous credit for that. You know, having the starting pitching, which which was not sexy in terms of the rotation top to bottom to come into the season to do the job that it's done, especially over the course of the last few weeks where John Means was absolutely sensational last weekend, as we discussed, Grayson Rodriguez, Dean Kramer, Kyle Bradish, who pitched his ass off on uh, Wednesday night. I mean, just an absolutely sensational job from the fellas. And Brandon Hyde, who, who you know, coaches up these guys, who mentors these guys, who sees them on a day-and-down basis, give them tremendous credit. Of course, Michael Elias, with the job he's done, you know, drafting and in the scouting department of building this roster. And then also him doing a great job of keeping – uh, the picks and the players from the old regime, the Dan Duquette days, the Cedric Mullins, the Austin Hayes, the Mount Castles, the Anthony Santanderas of the world. You know, he could have easily, like he did with Trey Mancini, you know, put the horse out the pasture and say, listen, I didn't bring you here. The old regime brought you here. You guys, you know, you guys don't mean, you know, you guys, I don't have that emotion. I don't owe you anything. But he was like, to say, you know what? The previous regime, they hit on a couple of players here, and they deserve to stay, and not only stay through, throughout the lean years, but avoid not getting traded because they knew that th- that th- that there was long term value, and that they and that the, and Elias and the crew knew that they not only was value with those guys, but they knew that they could also contribute to help them win. I mean, just an absolutely sensational job by everybody around. Uh, you know, and obvious, and, and how about Tyler Wells getting the job done uh, in the ninth inning last night? A player who was in, who is as much about a part of this as anybody on the roster who 
played a huge part in this team's success, especially in the first half of the regular season. Haven't seen much of him lately in the second half because he was on the innings limit, but does a sensational job of getting the ninth inning and, and uh, getting the uh, and getting the save uh, last night with one inning of uh, of clean baseball, three up and three down, man. So. There's obviously a lot more uh, left to accomplish for my Baltimore Orioles. You got the feeling overall from the team, from the manager and the clubhouse, and especially the fan base, uh, that the job is not done, that there's still work left to be done. I had a lot of Warriors fans come up to me and say, hey, man, this is this is this is our effing year. You know, we're not done. We're just getting started. You know, this this is just the be this just the beginning of great things to come. And, uh, you know, there's no reason why that, uh, you know, that you can't that the this isn't going to be the beginning of a nice five to, to seven year period of where the Orioles are going to be the cream of the crop of the not just the American League East, but along the entire American League. And I also saw this, too, which was absolute, which I mean, it was a stat that it felt like it wasn't real. But do you know that in the last nine seasons? The New York Yankees and the Baltimore Orioles have the same amount of AL East division titles in the last nine years. The Yankees have, listen, now they've made the playoffs every year from 2017 to 2022. But you think about it, 17, they were a wild card team. 2020 and 2021, they were a wild card team. And uh, in 2019, they won their division. 2022, they won their division. Orioles, 2014, they won their division. 2023, they won their division. I mean, and over the last decade, the Red Sox have the most division titles as four. Orioles with two, Rays with two, Yankees with two, Blue Jays with one. And for me to be in the building, and let me delve into that right quick, before, uh, before, and let me delve into that right quick uh, before we, because uh, we got a lot to discuss outside of the Baltimore Orioles here on today's show. But let me delve into my experience uh, at the game last night. I wanted to originally be there, lap, be there on Wednesday because I was aware with the Orioles' magic number being chopped down to one, that if the Orioles won and the, and the Rays lost to the Red Sox, uh, up at Fenway on Wednesday night, you know, that would have been it. And they would have won. They, and they would have, uh, and they would have, uh, and they would have uh, won the uh, division ch- and they would have won the division championship. Uh, but, you know, obviously because of Red Sox and as we saw last night, you know, uh, an offense that's been clicking on all cylinders all season long and all of a sudden they've been into an abutment. We know that they're starting pitching and they're pitching in general that bullpen all nine, you know, has been a problem for them all season long. But it's just now recently where the bets have gone ice cold and they're going to be ice cold, most likely you would presume, uh, heading into a dark and cold uh, off season for the Boston Red Sox. But uh, so they did get it done against uh, Tampa in a game with Glass now pitched on Wednesday. Uh, so I so and I wanted to go to the game, but I said, you know what? I have the Wednesday night tailgate, of course, with uh, Sarge and Crapper and Ruick and the fellas. The uh, sh- the live show that I do on uh, the Podbean app, the our weekly NFL recap and a preview show that we do throughout the course of the NFL regular season and through uh, the Super Bowl. 
Uh, so I said, well, I can't let the fellas down because I also wanted to get on and especially talk about the uh, Bengals uh, Monday night win against the Rams the other night. But um, so I said, you know what? I'll take a pass. I'll watch, you know, I'll watch it, you know, from uh, from my basement here. And, I'll, you know, and if they and if, you know, and the Red Sox did not end up getting the job done. Orioles did win, though, beating the Nationals five uh, one on Wednesday. So I said, you know what? What I'll do. I'll uh, as soon as the game's over, I'll see if I can find the cheapest ticket I can find on the you know on the resale market apps. You know, Vivid Seats, Game Time, Tick Pick. See, let me see if I can StubHub. Let me see if I can find the cheapest ticket I can so I can be in the built so I can be in the building for when they clinch uh, the next night. So I went on to uh, Tick Pick or no, I not Tick Pick. I went on to uh, Vivid Seats. Found a found a standing room only ticket for uh, for ten bucks. Bought it within five ten minutes after the game was over Wednesday night. Got hopped on the bus and the subway over to the stadium. Got inside the ballpark at about six twenty five in between six twenty five six thirty. Saw it was right there standing on, on the flag court in right field, the top of the scoreboard for them to you know for them to uh, you know when they walked out onto the field. You know, saw every saw every pitch, had a perfect view of the game. Obviously, took video of the final out and the celebration and the fireworks and the confetti going off and everything. I mean, it was just an absolutely remarkable scene, remarkable sight, one that I will take with me to the grave. Uh, I'm, you know, I said, you know, I said to myself, I said, "Man, Jai, that's the best ten dollars you ever spent in your life," uh, and and that couldn't have been, uh, and that couldn't have been a more true than it was last night. Uh, there's a line going up, up Utah street to get into the team store, to buy the, uh, the American League's merchandise, uh, to buy the American League's merchandise, uh, the t-shirts, the hats, you know, there were fans going crazy at the pickles pub in the section 771, whatever it's called right across the street from the stadium, uh, right near the, uh, Hilton and the Marriott, uh, hotels, you know, they were going crazy singing dreams and nightmares, seven nation army chant. You know, they were, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin uh, chugging beers and, and hard seltzers and spraying champagne. I mean, it's just an absolutely unbelievable scene. And the feeling that you got from the fan base was joy, relief, that the stress of winning the division, you know, and getting another one seed was now a thing of the past. And it was like, okay, it's great, but it, this was on like, but there, you got the feeling from the fan base that, Winning the division and winning 100 games is not going to be this team's ceiling. The ceiling and the expectation is to win a championship. So, so you, so, and, you, and if that's the feeling from the players up to, you know, from, through the organization to the players and to the fan base, you know, it's going to be a, it's going to be a, a rocking October uh, here in the 410. Now, with that being said, a busy program of the Amatelicatelia's podcast ahead. You know what time it is. Hey, give me my theme music. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Ho. Oh, H to the OV. I used to move snowflakes by the OZ. I guess even back then you can call me CEO of the ROC. Ho, fresh out the frying pan into the fire. I be the music man's number one supplier. Flyer than a piece of paper bearing my name Got the hottest chick in the game wearing my chain That's right, ho, ho 
not D.O.C., but similar to them letters, no one could do it better. I check cheddar like a food inspector. My homie Strick told me, dude, finish your breakfast. So that's what I'ma do, take you back to the dude with the Lexus. Fast forward the jewels and the necklace. Let me tell you dudes what I do to protect us. Shoot at you actors like movie directors. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We got the public service announcement. And we got a busy show here for you on this football Friday, September 29th, year 2023. Uh, obviously, uh, touched on the Orioles there at the top. A lot of other baseball news to get into. The American League West and the chaos that uh, is over there, of course, with the Toronto. Uh, and, of course, with the Toronto uh, Blue Jays, them being on the outside looking in with the playoffs uh, as well. The I'll get into the mess with the Marlins with the uh, I get into uh, into the uh, mess with the uh, Marlins and the rain out with them and the mess. Excuse me, the Mets. Angel Hernandez is the worst. We'll get into that. Uh, of course, recap the Thursday night. Uh, recap the Thursday night uh, football game that was up in Lambeau. Lions getting the job done, man. How about the Detroit Lions, man? What a gritty gutty football team that is and of course week four preview marquee games on a week four uh slate also a uh week five uh slate of the national football league that is uh that is quite enticing uh as well and we'll get into that as the program progresses also mike Babchick, uh he stops by to have a conversation uh the one the one and only great of a serious xm mad dog sports radio so we will have him on a little bit later on in the program and, of course, uh, week four picks against the spread. And some NBA news with finally the Damian Lillard sa- uh, saga, excuse me, coming to an end uh, as he is now from a Portland Trailblazer to now a Milwaukee Buck. And we will begin first and resume with the baseball conversation. As more chaos ensues with the American League West in terms of the uh, fight for the division and fight for the extra uh, two playoff spots in the American League uh, postseason picture. Last night, uh, the Ranger bullpen up their old tricks. Uh, Chapman walking the ballpark in the ninth inning and trying to nurse a, a 2-1 lead. He cannot do that. Uh, forced uh, Bruce Bochy's hand. They go to uh, Will Smith to try to find a way to get the uh, Rangers out of danger, which they could not do. So J.P. Crawford hit a walk-off two-run double uh, to win the game in the ninth inning last night up at uh, T-Mobile Park. Uh, I saw this interesting stat that uh, that I saw in the uh, Mariners broadcast the other night. Did you know that f- since August 18th, the Rangers have blown – 14 saves, their bullpen has been on the hook for 11 losses, their ERA is probably, it was at 5.67 before uh, Will Smith gave up the aforementioned double to Crawford last night, but I can imagine that their bullpen is probably somewhere around 5.8 or thereabouts, which is fourth, if not the third highest within the sport, and they've given up 29 home runs uh, since August 18th, that's the second most in the sport next to the hapless, embarrassing uh, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Their bullpen has been a complete mess the second half of the season and was and was a complete mess at the beginning of the month of September and is going to head into the back end of the month of September 
in just as much disarray as it was in the beginning. Chapman's been a complete mess uh, since he's been a, a Texas Ranger. I'll read you his stats here in a minute. Uh, Will Smith, and it's funny, you know, the Rangers went and traded for both of those guys because they knew that they uh, that that it, they knew that they had postseason experience with a team that you know outside of you know Simeon with a couple of postseason series as a member of the Oakland A's and uh, Corey Seager going back to his days with the Dodgers, it is still a fairly young team with you know with uh, with little to no uh, postseason. It wasn't uh, uh, Smith that they brought in. I apologize. It was uh, Hernandez, not Will Smith. I apologize. Uh, or did I have? Do I have that read right? I'm making sure I'm reading the right thing uh, here for Texas. Yes, I am. I said Will Smith. It actually was. Uh, it actually was their uh, relief man, uh, their right-handed pitcher, Jonathan Hernandez. I apologize. So not uh, Will Smith, but Hernandez. But Smith has struggled. Uh, for the Rangers in the second half of the season. Chapman, though, uh, I did not speak on that. He walk, comes in, walks the ballpark, can't find a strike zone. And, you know, we saw this with Chapman earlier this season, you know, uh, with uh, with Texas. You saw it a couple times sporadically uh, earlier in the season when he was in Kansas City. You know, if you're a Yankee fan, you know good and well, and you can remember a chapter and verse, the days where uh, – where Chapman just could not find the strike zone, would walk the ballpark, and when he could find the strike zone, you know he was, you know he was serving up batting practice left and right. Uh, with uh, you know whether you look back at the 2019 ALCS against Houston, many a times in the regular season in his uh, in his uh, latter years with the Yankees, Aroldis Chapman, you know who was one of the more dynamic, more electrifying shutdown closers. Uh, in the game is now a guy that, you know, when he's on his game is still, you know, uh, is still, you know, can, can blow by you with his 101 mile an hour fastballs. Like, you know, like it's going out of style. Uh, but w- when he's on his game, he still is, ve- he still is a, a serviceable guy, a serviceable closer setup man the back into the bullpen when he's on his game. But the problem is, is that as his career has gone on him now being at 35 years of age, uh, you know, when he's off his game, he's off his game tremendously. And if you're an opposing man, and if you're the manager that is managing his team, whether it's Boone, whether it's uh, Girardi and Boone, New York, whether it's uh, Matheny in Kansas City, whether it's now, of course, uh, Bruce Bochy, excuse me, in Texas, you know, when Chat, when the first sign of trouble, when Chapman's off his game, you got you got to do whatever you can and move heaven and earth to make sure that you, that you get him out of there. Because because if you leave him in there long enough, he will he will you will go down with the ship, and he will be the primary source of you know he will be the reason of of uh, of why you, your team ended up hitting the iceberg uh, in in late innings of of these games. So and you look at him this season, he's got a six and five record, uh, ERA of three point oh nine, and I say it all the time. You know, if you're a starting pitcher and your ERA is a tad over three, that's a positive. When you're when you pitch in a bullpen, especially if you're a uh, if you're a guy, if you're a setup man, if you're a setup man or a closer who you know who pitches, you know, at the bare minimum, you know, sees three batters an inning, gets you know whose assignment is to get an inning at the most two at the most two innings. For a back for a uh, back end reliever guy, and your ERA is over three. That's a negative negative sign. 
the as uh, a closer's ERA being over three is the equivalent of a starting pitcher's ERA being over four, four and a half. I mean that that spells nothing, nothing but trouble. Uh, he's got a whip of four point two of oh, excuse me one point two five in his last uh, seven uh, outings. He has an ERA of five point six. Uh, he's pitched six in the third, uh, giving up six hits on four runs, walked the ballparks. He's got five walks in his last 15 innings and 14 innings of work. He's walked 12 batters, given up 12 hits, uh, given up a nine runs earned, has an ERA of 5.7, ERA of 5.79. Uh, and if you want to go to his last, his last 30 games, he's been obviously a lot better, larger sample size, but in his last 15 games, uh, in 14 innings of work, he's been the completely abysmal. He comes in, can't hold the lead. Broshi has to take him out, go to Hernandez, and uh, he ends up blowing the lead. That ball should have been caught, though, uh, by the left fielder, uh, by the left fielder, Mr. Carter. That ball should have been caught. The ball hung up in the air quite a long time. If he I, maybe gotten a late jump on it and then directly couldn't read exactly the plight and the path uh, of the ball, it was hit opposite field off the end of Crawford's bat in the left. I thought my first reaction was, man, damn, he should have caught that ball. I mean, it wasn't like it was hit extra hard and hung up in the air a long time. That ball should with the game on the line, the ball should have been caught. Worst case scenario, he catches the ball, runner tags up, and the game is tied. You get one more out, and you live to see the top half of the 10th inning. But the Manners, who needed that game in the worst way, a gutty team, they're 86-73. and 73. Currently where they stand right now in the standings, uh, they are uh, three games back of Texas for the division, uh, and they st- are they still mathematically uh, in it? I believe they are. They're they're they wait. Let me double check. Let me double check. They are uh, they uh, they are they eliminated because they've been finished eighty nine and seventy three. Um, and yeah, so yeah, they're still in it. Believe it or not, they can still win a division via tiebreaker they are currently on the outside looking in in terms of the wild card as well they are a game be- they are a game behind Houston who's 87 and 72 currently holding the sixth seed in the third wild card spot in the American League playoff picture the the uh, Manners needed a game in the worst way imaginable Astros took care of business against the Diamondbacks last night again improving their ref- their record to the aforementioned 87 and 72 uh, they took care. They didn't play the Diamondbacks last night. I apologize. They took care of business. Uh, no, wait. The Astros. I'm all over the place. God, guys, forgive me. The they played. They play the diamond. They played the Diamondbacks this weekend. They they played the Diamondbacks tonight. Last night, the Diamondbacks played uh, played the Chicago White Sox. But the uh, Astros took care of business uh, against Seattle in their final game of their three game set on a Wednesday night. So there you go. So you have, uh, so it was Rodriguez, not Will Smith and the Astros play the Diamondbacks tonight. Not last night. The Astros had last night off. They beat the Manners on Wednesday night. The Diamondbacks last night played the Chicago White Sox. So, there you go. I'm all uh, squared away. I'm getting myself uh, tongue-tied. Uh, my sincerest apologies. But the Manners, game in, a game out of uh, the sixth seed uh, going up against, uh, or excuse me, trying to chase down the Astros at 87-72. and 72. Um, Meanwhile, as you know, the Astros, they got the Manners coming up this weekend. In terms of the Blue Jays, they are a game uh, up on the Astros for the fifth seed in the American League wild card at 88-71. and 71. 
Blue Jays have won six out of their last ten games. Let's uh, do a let's do a quick uh, lit, let's do a uh, a litmus test or or check in, if you will, with the Toronto Blue Jays and how they've affaired over the last uh, couple of days because we did not discuss them discuss them on the show on uh, Tuesday. The Blue Jays right now, folks, coming off of a uh, a rough series loss to the Yankees. They got shut out in back to back games on Tuesday and Wednesday by a combined score of eight to nothing. And they got off the deck and found a way to win, beating the Yankees uh, last night by the final score of six nothing. They begin a three game set with the Tampa Bay Rays. Now the good thing is with Toronto and his situation is that with the Orioles winning the division last night, uh, Tampa Bay has, uh, has nothing to play for. And with them having to play the wild card series uh, beginning of next week, uh, starting next Tuesday, uh, they are going to need as much rest as they possibly can. So this weekend, in essence, with the Rays, who currently sitting at the standings are locked into the fifth seed in the top wild card spot at ninety seven and sixty two. So they could go ninety seven and sixty five, and it wouldn't make any difference. Ninety seven and sixty five or a hundred and sixty two doesn't make either either of those two extremes or somewhere in the middle doesn't make any difference the rays are locked into the fifth seed top wild card spot they have uh they obviously will have home fit advantage for their uh for their wild card series coming up uh to begin the uh, work week next week who they play remains to be seen will it be uh, toronto will it be houston or will it be uh seattle that remains to be uh that remains to be seen but they are but they're home free uh, with the Orioles winning the division last night, it locks Baltimore where they are number one seed, gives them the bye and the division. And the Rays, you know, it, would it look nice for them to have a hundred wins? You know, I guess so. But as t- outside of the aesthetically pleasing notion of them, you look at the standings. You know, come next, come you know, this come January, look back at the standings. Oh yeah, the the uh, the blue the Rays found a way to win a hundred games. Outside of that, there really is nothing, little, little to nothing for the Blue Jays to play for this weekend. Outside of the fact that, you know, maybe they want to prohibit themselves of, of uh, playing the Blue Jays in their building and playing them essentially in back-to-back series. I mean, you know, would they rather go up against Houston or uh, or Seattle in opening round or go or have a double dip home and home against them and the Blue Jays. I don't know. It all depends on uh, Kevin Cash's uh, managerial strategy throughout the series and tonight how he handles his bullpen, the lineup cards he draws up remains to be seen. But outside of, you know, possibly uh kicking the Blue Jays out of the postseason, there's not there's nothing for the uh, for the Rays to play for, which is an advantage for which is an advantage for Toronto because say for case in point if the Rays take the weekend off and rest their guys knowing that it's going to be a bullpen a bullpen uh fest those entire uh three games especially you know the games that are scheduled on the table for games one and two the Blue Jays take and say okay the Rays will lie down we'll get the we'll get these wins and basically lock ourselves into the playoffs we don't have to worry about you know if we lose and if we come up short we got to worry about the Astros and the Manners uh and, and the Rangers if they fall from uh, their spot at the top of the west 
uh, it, have to worry about them knocking us out and us losing a tie break and us having to worry about uh, uh, not playing after October the 1st on Sunday because we fall uh, because our uh, behind falls on the uh, sword of the ta- of the uh, tiebreaker. Because remember, about a, a week ago, we discussed when the uh, Blue Jays allowed the Rangers to walk into the Rogers Center for that four game series and they got swept by and they got swept uh, by uh, by Texas. And thus had what has a major tiebreaker implications with the with the Rangers, who currently are sitting at eighty nine, and uh, who are currently sitting at eighty nine and seventy, which is something to pay attention to uh, as well. Uh, so you have basically the three teams in the AL West. All th- the the AL West is still on the table, mathematically speaking. So you have three teams for the West, and then you have the two teams that fail to get the West having to fight off the Blue Jays for spots five and six, wild cards two and three in the Amer- in the American League playoff picture. The five seed with Tampa with the second best record in the American League, they're already locked in. The Twins uh, winning that joke of the American League Central are locked in at the three. And the Orioles obviously are locked in at the at the uh, one, winning their division and getting the and passing the or excuse me I should say eclipsing the hundred win mark, uh, so they uh, by so they uh, would have the record of uh, one hundred they would have the uh, home field advantage and best record throughout for the American League and throughout the American League playoffs. So to keep score at home, the thing that's still left up for grabs on the American League side of things for you guys to keep track at home, it's the uh it's the two seed, which is important because you get the uh, wild card series uh off and and whoever wins the West would obviously have games one and two in their own building next weekend and wouldn't have to worry about playing a game of uh playing pl- wouldn't have to worry about playing a game until a week from tomorrow, uh, so which which is very 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 important, considering that these teams in the West have gone have been you know playing essentially playoff baseball all month long without a minute to breathe, and them getting the uh, the, the getting them getting Monday through Friday off would be paramount just to allow them to catch their breath, take a deep breath, and and you know kind of gather themselves and uh, debris and, uh, you know, regroup and debrief from uh, from the high intensity baseball that they've played uh, the last uh, handful of weeks, uh, or really, again, the last month uh, in the back and the uh, as we are on the back nine coming down the home stretch of the 2023 MLB regular season. So the West is up for the West and the and the uh, second buy is up for grabs. The and seeds five through six with the wild with the two wild cards remaining are up for grabs. So there's essentially half of the American League playoff picture is locked in. The other half is not. The half that is the East and home field advantage the Orioles. The Central winner being the Twins. The fifth seed and the and the top wild card being the Blue Jays. What isn't the West the Western Division winner and the two wild cards. Where two wild cards is between is between the two teams, whichever the two teams that don't win the West and the Toronto Blue Jays. The uh, the uh, Yankees are out. The Red Sox are obviously out with a below five hundred record. That's it. 
So that's where you stand with the American League playoff picture as you head into the final week into the regular season. In terms of the National League side of things with the Marlins, they had the they their game with the uh, Mets, and it's been a complete mess up in New York the last week, uh, getting uh, the uh, the back end, uh, the aftermath, the after showers, whatever you want to call it of the tropical storm that came through last weekend that New York is still feeling the uh, the brinks of. They've had nothing but rain for the last week. And then, of course, they have a regular uh, old rainstorm on top of the uh, after, on top of the, you know, the tail end of a hurricane. And they have floods and flooding and rain and just awful messy weather in a tri-state area for the last week. Uh, the Marlins and the Mets game got uh, got. Uh, called due to a rain delay at the top part of the uh, ninth inning uh, last night. And it was an extra long rain delay. They didn't call the game. One o'clock in the morning comes around. You got Ships uh, uh, Schumacher, the man, the former Cardinal, now manager of the uh, Marlins, trying to help the ground screws so they can get the game in because the Marlins need the worst game imaginable because the Reds and the Cubs, who are both on their tail, Reds a game and a half back, uh, and the Cubs, uh, a half game back of the Marlins for the uh, NL wild card in the sixth seed. They need the Mets don't need that game, obviously, but the Marlins do, and they had to call the game uh, and re- and post and schedule it for uh, Monday for them to uh, for them to complete it. And the Marlins, who currently right now uh, have to had to fly to its top half of the ninth top half of the ninth inning, they lead two one uh, over the Mets. Uh, so they had to leave New York and, you know, in the wee hours of the uh, in the wee hours of the morning, go to Pittsburgh to play these three games this weekend against the Pirates. And then they have to and then they have to come back to New York uh, to uh, to finish up the game from last night, uh, especially if they were, especially if it's a scenario where the Marlins need the game for them to either qualify for the playoffs or for a tiebreaker scenario to be uh, to be enforced, so they are going to. So they left Flushing, left Flushing, go to Pittsburgh for three, and then come back to New York to play the Mets. Then on top of the, and then on top of the fact that if they end up uh, walking out of this weekend uh, with you know with their season still intact, they would have to with them being the sixth seed, they would have to get on a plane to fly to. Uh, to fly to Milwaukee to play the uh to play the Brewers for a, a best of three first round playoff series at the beginning of the work week next week, which would be on uh Tuesday if I if I am if I am correct in that uh, assessment on uh because they have the day because they got the game Tuesday yes it would be on Tuesday so think about this New York the Pittsburgh for three. Then back to New York to finish the game in a game that's one nothing with the top top half in the ninth inning in a two one game which in which a game you know the Mets could say you know what to hell with it this is our final game of the season there's no tomorrow for us next time we play a meaningful game won't be until uh won't be until uh, March of next calendar year what the hell let's you know just cause havoc and say you know you know and have just the you know the screw it mentality and go balls to the wall and you know try to win and try to win that game and you know so the Mets with nothing nothing to play for close game final game of the season and the only baseball game on the schedule so they have like kind of like that weird uh 
uh, avenue of exclusivity. I was like, well, we're the final game on TV, final game in town. Let's just go you know, go for the gusto and try to win this game. Doesn't mean anything in the big picture. You know, we could, you know, spoil the lives of our division rivals. That's it. The Mets on um, on Monday, and then they and then uh, they have to fly. You know, after the game, same day, fly to Milwaukee to play three consecutive games against the Brewers. To then, which they would only have what if they Monday they have uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. They would have the off. They would have the off day Friday, and then they would have to, uh, and then they would have to hop on a plane. They'd have to hop on a plane if they were fortunate enough to uh, beat the uh, fortunate enough to beat the Brewers in a wild card series. They'd have to hop on a plane with one day off being the Friday and fly west to Los Angeles if they were to beat the Brewers with the Sears going the full three. If the game needed the needed the rubber match, they would have one day off, and they'd have one day off between today. And next Saturday against Los Angeles, and that would and that would be a week from today. This it would be next Friday. The only they would get two days off the Thursday and the Friday if they were to sweep. If they were to you know lock up the playoff spot, obviously go into Milwaukee, beat Milwaukee in game you know straight up games one and two, have the sweep, obviously be no game three, and would have Thursday and Friday off. For them to gather them, for them to gather themselves, catch their breath, and then fly out west to Los Angeles to play the Dodgers, who you know who who are as rested as rested could be, with them having the uh, with them having the the West already locked up, and the and the Braves having home field advantage throughout the National League playoffs, which they already secured earlier this week. So the so the Dodgers would be fully rested and ha- would have no- would have had nothing to play for for a w- about a week and a half, and then and here comes hypothetically the Marlins who would go from New York in the wee hours of the morning to Pittsburgh back to New York, hop on a plane and then fly to Milwaukee to play consec- with no days off in between, mind you, play Milwaukee play a hypothetical, you know, game three if the series were to go the distance, then hop on a plane with one day off and then fly all the way out west to Los Angeles. So New York to Pittsburgh, the New York to Milwaukee to Los Angeles. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. Crazy, crazy stuff. And how about Angel Hernandez? Angel Hernandez, man, this guy, Angel Hernandez got a lot of nerve. Here it is now. The now the Phillies have their playoff spot locked up already. Uh, they have the number one seed. Uh, they have the uh, not not the number one seed, but the number one wild card spot already locked up. But I mean, if you're Angel Hernandez, you really want to again stick your beak in the game. Why base? And this guy literally has the nerve and the chutzpah to scream and yell from the rooftops. You know that baseball executes in in racial discrimination and racism and bigotry, which is the reason why he doesn't. Uh, man, which is the why he doesn't. Uh, you know, get the umpire a lot of playoff series. Bull crap, Angel. The reason why you don't get the umpire a whole lot of playoff series. Uh, if any at all, World Series and and everything else, it's because you suck at your job. 
Now, competent people and people that, you know, that were smart and people, if they ran Major League Baseball, if they were smart, they'd say, you know what, enough, enough, enough with this. If we're not, if we, if we obviously don't think enough of him for him to, uh, for him to, uh, to manage when the games count in October, why should we have him umpire games from, uh, from April through September, April to September? And which, and I have no idea why in the world, you know, he remains employed by, uh, by, by Major League Baseball. I, I really, I really, really do not, do not, uh, uh would, would not understand it under any circumstances whatsoever. I, I, I don't, I don't understand it, why he's still employed. And here it is, Harper checks swings. He obviously does not go. And Hernandez feels the need to, to stick it to Bryce Harper. And he says that he swung. Bryce Harper, God bless his heart, God bless his soul, the short fuse that he the short fuse that he has, which I in this case and circumstances uh praise with you know with him ha- he should have a short fuse when it comes to these damn umpires. Him having a short fuse that he does goes ballistic on Angel Hernandez, gets thrown out of the game. And, you know, he basically said straight up, you know, I'ma have to uh you know, I'ma have to pay a pay a hefty fine, but I'm gonna pay a fine essentially uh, can, uh, can, uh, you know, get fined for telling the truth. So in essence, you know, that's what happens. He's probably going to have to, uh, he's going to, going to have a hefty check in the mail, uh, for him to pay the fine for critiquing, for critiquing Angel Hernandez and the umpiring, but it's just a joke, man. I, it's a joke that he's still employed. It's a joke that, and baseball is not the only one. NFL has, it's the same thing. NBA, you know, God forbid, you know, they, they turn into Benito Mussolini. They turn into, uh, a, 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 you know, like, like, like a bunch of communists, you know, God forbid you credit, God forbid you criticize, uh, our officials and criticize our umpires or else, you know, expect they expect, you know, a, a slap fine on the wrist and you'll, and you'll be in trouble, which I absolutely do not get, man. I, just, I I'm, I'm still dumbfounded how he's umpiring and why like that whole kitten caboodle with players and managers getting, having to worry about losing part of their game check because they speak the truth and speak truth to power and speak their mind when they get jobbed by these incompetent crumb snatching bums whose jobs, you know, are going to be replaced by robots, you know, within a matter of time, which is, which is all, which is a totally another tangent. Everyone's so obsessed about AI, this AI, that, you know, when it comes to shopping and, 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 and singing and creating music. No, nobody needs AI for that foolishness. What we need AI and robots for is for balls, is for calling up balls and strikes and check swings and no check swings. You know, for the, for the things in society that we need robots for, because humans are so mind-bogglingly, painfully incompetent and bad at their job. You know, we'll allow we'll allow them to we'll allow the human uh, the human element in the human uh, era to to just fester and and just creep along every nook and cranny like a damn virus but yet for things that we actually like you know with the, that we like human humans to be involved in emotionally and mentally and and in parts of our lives and lifestyles where where human element is a blessing instead of a curse we want to get rid of it and put in the, and, and put the robots in it makes absolutely no sense but that's more of me getting off on the beat, beaten path on uh, on on uh, with uh, with the whole AI thing, which which makes absolutely no with with the AI argument, which makes absolutely no sense to me. 
Um, now switching gears now to the football. There was a Thursday night football game last night. I obviously did not see a second of the game, but judging off of the box score and a lot of conversation, you know, it was same crap, different toilet with with uh, Matt Lafleur uh, getting out coached and not knowing how to game plan properly, and uh, and just him just being just thoroughly outclassed. Listen, if you're a Packer fan, you had to see this coming. The writing was on the wall during the final years of Aaron Rodgers' tenure up in Green Bay when you had the combination of him and Rodgers up in Green Bay, whether it was whether it was uh, the championship game against Tampa, whether it was uh, them getting their doors blown off by San Francisco in the championship game in 2019, whether it was 2021 when they lost at home in Green Bay to, to uh, Shanahan and the, and the 49ers in the snow. This has been it's been it's been it's you know what you you knew what you were getting when you when you hired Matt LaFleur. I mean, offensive guru, my ass. I mean, come on now. The the guy he's 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 uh he's not Lombardi when it comes to his offensive game, when it comes to his game planning, when it comes to having his team raring to go and being well coached and making sure his team is well-disciplined on his P's and Q's. I saw that they had the same idiot player. Uh, I'll pull up his name here in a second. I saw that they had the same dope. Uh, what the hell's his name? They had the same uh, the same guy. I get his name here in just a second. Uh, Quay Walker, who got himself penalized and kicked out of the game back in December. December. Back in January in week 18, he got himself kicked out of the game because he inexplicably felt the need to shove the uh, a Detroit Lions trainer. And what happens? He got himself caught with his hand in a cookie jar again because he decided to uh, the, he decided to invoke the uh, the Bobby Wagner rule, trying to jump over the uh, trying to jump over and leverage himself on the backs of the uh, of the offensive linemen on the uh, on the uh, field goal kicking unit and he got himself in trouble uh with the penalty and ended up giving the uh the Detroit Lions some free yardage. So I mean when it's the same player doing the same doing the same stupid moronic crap over and over again as Shannon Sharp says it a ton of times at infinitum. It's is in it especially applies uh, it applies in in in, uh, in football when it comes to stupid personal foul penalties like that. You're you're if you're not coaching it, you're condoning it, and we can you know we obviously love the quibble and love the squawk and love the bust the NFL's chops and rightfully so with piss poor officiating when it comes to judgment calls you know holding pass interference roughing a passer stuff like that we can be here all day and we can you know and we can critique the officials we can critique the you know the NFL officiating the league office. The conspiracy theories, you know, with the games, with the games being, uh, with the games being uh, rigged or fixed, you know, we, we can carry on to the cows go on with the ticky tacky, murky gray area stuff like that. Stuff like that. That's not a ref ball. That's not anything being fixed. That's not that. That's not. Uh, that's not um, the thing. That's not the game being rigged. That's not uh, uh, horrendous. Uh, officiating malpractice by the officials. That, what I see, that's dumb football. When when you make it blatantly obvious for the officials to throw the flag and blow the whistle on you, that that I mean, if that doesn't get football fans, it doesn't get you more aggravated, more annoyed, more pissed off. 
as a uh, as as someone that that devotes their life at at one at some sort some form or fashion. I don't know what is because th- because that's just flagrant stupidity. You know, referees. You know, judgment calls, holding that stuff happens. But the certain stuff that I see the Green Bay Packers, especially with Walker with that, and obviously when he shoved the trainer last year, when he got himself thrown out of a do-or-die game, that's just dumb football. And again, that either gets coached or it gets condoned. And LaFleur's team at times can be very undisciplined, cannot be, you know, their football IQ many sequences can be in the toilet and cannot be, you know, I tell you something right now. If it was Lombardi's team, they wouldn't they wouldn't be pulling a whole lot. Hell, of, they wouldn't be pulling this crap. I tell you that right now. And you know, Jared Goff did not have his best game, but didn't have to because David Montgomery, boy, what an outing he had! Thirty-two carries, a buck twenty-one on the ground, ran for three touchdowns. A sensational, sensational day for him. Uh, the Vi- the uh, Lions ruled in time possession, thirty-seven fifty-eight. Uh, certainly outgained the uh, the Green Bay Packers, uh, 401 total yards of offense to 203. They uh, averaged five and a half yards of play. Uh, they were uh, three of six in in the red zone, three of four in goal to go, uh, goal to go uh, efficiency. They took care of the football, only one turnover, uh, and and defensively the Lions did a sensational job. Jordan Love got sacked five times, made the Green Bay Packers offensive line, which was banged up. Back to Yari, who has who who when he plays is few and far in between, was placed on IR prior to the game. Of course, still with his knee issues, but uh, Jordan Love sacked five times. He threw two interceptions, twenty three of thirty six. They cannot run the ball whatsoever. Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon combined ten carries for twenty nine yards on the ground combined. Combined between two of them, 10 carries for 29 yards on the ground, completely disgraceful. LaFleur uh, is, you know, with running the football has been, uh, has been extremely, extremely, you know, that's been one of his uh, Achilles heels was hit with his inability to, to run the football well with his team, especially uh, effectively with the two uh, stud running backs that he has in his backfield. Um, and Detroit just got outclassed and and uh, had their will imposed on them throughout the entire 60 minutes. I saw that there was some questionable officiating that you know that uh, made the game close. I can't I can't dispute that because I didn't see uh, much of the game uh, much of the game uh, much of the game live. But uh, what I saw from Detroit is, listen, they're 3-1 and one in first place atop the NFC North. I told you guys, you know, all offseason long and prior to the season that this team was the best team in the NFC North. Jared Goff, who I've been on record for many a times in the history of this program, uh, for being heavily critical uh, of of his uh, shortcomings and his uh, bad play in his uh, final years in Los Angeles as a member of the Rams. Well, he's been a Detroit Lion, and he has been, I don't know whether it's the fact that he's been motivated because of how McVay treated him out the door, seeing the Rams win a Super Bowl, you know, after they traded him away and his departure. 
but uh, but he has had a sensational uh, first uh, few seasons uh, as a uh, quarterback of the of the Detroit Lions. They've been able to run the football exponentially well. Dan Campbell has his team focused. He has his team motivated. And right now, don't look, but the Detroit Lions have found a way to 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 fight off three straight victories over the Detroit Lions, of course, with the two in the calendar year in 2023, week 18 to close out the 22 season uh, on uh, Sunday night, the night Green Bay out of the playoffs and put Green Bay in to close out a, uh, a, a 500 season in the green. The, who can forget the three red zone interceptions that Rodgers threw uh, back in November of last season in Detroit, and then they walk into Green Bay on Thursday Night Football and win by 14 points. You give the Detroit Lions tremendous credit for being ready on a short uh, on a short uh, work week on the road. Sensational job by them. They improved to three and one. Packers fall to two and two on the season, going through growing pains with Jordan Love. Uh, as they're uh, going through, uh, going through, um, going through uh, growing pains uh, as a young quarterback within the uh, within the National Football League. Uh, in terms of Week Four, Week Four in the National Football League, marquee games, uh, marquee games for them. Uh, you have game number one being the game of the weekend. And that's between the Miami Dolphins and the uh, Buffalo uh, Bills. Both of these two teams, Bills coming off of back-to-back wins, they have not looked back and have been the team that um, that everyone, at least I did, because they were indeed, believe it or not, <laughs> my Super Bowl pick, as wild as that sounds. But they're playing uh, – but they're playing um, – up to the capabilities that I anticipated heading into the season. Defense getting after the quarterback, forcing turnovers, Jared Goff taking care of the football, uh, offense offense galore taking care of the football in the red zone, executing uh, within the red zone. Uh, they've done that the last two weeks, beat, and beating the brakes off of the Raiders and the Commanders respectively in back-to-back weeks. Their first uh, divisional matchup since their week one loss against the Jets on Monday night. Meanwhile, Miami, three straight victories on a short list of the undefeated teams in the sport. It's them, uh, them, the Eagles, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the only undefeated teams uh, remaining uh, in the sport heading into the uh, heading into the first Sunday in the month of October, the fourth weekend of and excuse me, I should say on the young season Dolphins, the 70 uh, piece they dropped uh, blowing out the Denver Broncos by 50. As we discussed earlier this week, they uh, this is their toughest test uh, yet this season. Uh, arguably speaking, you know, if the Miami Dolphins, a little bit of a psychiatric thing, similar with the Jets, they want to prove that they're, uh, that they're big time, that they can win a division, that, um, that, uh, that they're going to be here. Not, we know that they're here to stay, but they want to prove themselves and take the next, uh, take the, uh, the next step to be a uh, big-time contender atop of the AFC and to make some headway and to be the leader in the clubhouse that can not only lock up the AFC East but can also walk away at season's end with the number one seed. they got to find a way to take care of business against the Buffalo Bills. Uh, the Buffalo Bills, who beat them two out of th- who beat them who uh, who beat them two out of three times last season, the two losses coming uh, up at Orchard 
uh, coming up at Orchard Park. Of course, the game that ended on the game-winning Tyler Bass field goal in the snow to lock up the division uh, the uh, the week or so before uh, Christmas on that Saturday night, and then Tua couldn't go in the playoff game. A wild card weekend. They had Skylar Thompson, third-string quarterback, go put up a, a valiant effort. Allen, of course, fumbled the football early in the second half that brought the uh, the Dolphins within uh, that brought the Dolphins within striking distance. But uh, Thompson could not deliver uh, the goods in the end. Psychologically, the Dolphins need this game uh, just to say, uh, just to say, look, we can beat Buffalo, we can beat them again, we can beat them, especially up at Orchard Park. Which if they, uh, which if they run into Buffalo come playoff time, if the Dolphins don't win this division, uh, that is exactly where they're going to play. Now, granted, Orchard Park on October first is a different animal than Orchard Park on January 7th or no, not January 7th, January, uh, 14th for the 13th and the 14th. But, uh, this is the game that the, that the Dolphins have to have. They want to keep the momentum going from that, from that, uh, 70, because what could obvious, because what I could see happening is if the off, the offense falls a little flat incomplete passes, you know, the wide receivers aren't exactly on the same page. Bills do a, do a decent job of stopping the run and make sure that Mahim Mostert and Ahmed Ahmed, whatever his name is, the, the uh, second running back of their two running back tandem that they have in the backfield, that they, uh, you know, that the offense takes a little while for them to get its legs under them and they're not, you know, scoring automatically and scoring at well like they have been the last couple of weeks uh, or, or the last uh, two at it because they because the Pages defense did give them trouble in week two, but week one and two where scoring just came naturally to them, or excuse me, weeks one and three, I should say, will the Dolphins be able to bounce back and, you know, win a game where they're not scoring, you know, 35 points in the sleep? Can they win a game, you know, 17, 10, 20, you know, 21, 17, the 24, 21? Can you know? Can they stick out those games and play the field position battle and not try to get too anxious because they're not putting the ball in the end zone on every drive? You know, can they hang with Buffalo in terms of Buffalo saying, "Listen, you're not going to be run up and down the field on us all all afternoon long like like you did Denver." Okay, we're not the Denver Broncos. This is going to be a, a a slugfest for sixty minutes, battle of attrition. May the best man win. And I think, and I think the Dolphins, you know, that's going to be their test. You saw a little bit with the Patriots in Week Two, but had the offensive lineman, you know, been a half of of a yard further down the line on that fourth and one, the Dolphins would have been in trouble against the Patriots uh, two weeks ago on Sunday night. So, can they win that type of gritty? grind them out game we saw it against the Patriots uh in week two but obviously the Buffalo Bills are a much better team with a much better roster much better quarterback than the New England Patriots so Buffalo and the key with them you know as per usual same uh recipe as you saw the previous two weeks in the last two wins Josh Allen taking care of the football offensive line uh doing a good job protecting him uh and um and capitalizing uh, in the red zone with your red zone offense. Great red zone efficiently, efficiency, I should say. Keeping Allen protected behind the pocket. Uh, running the football tremendously well, which, they ha- which they've gotten themselves into a little bit of, of a groove, groove the last couple of weeks. And Allen taking care of the football with no turnovers. Um, those your recipes for success for the Bills 
uh, heading into this game and, uh, and also dominating time of possession too. You know, the, 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 least amount of time the Dolphins have to, to put their hands on a football and to march up and down a field and to, and to milk the clock and, and to uh, just just impose their will on the Bills' defense, the better. So uh, the Bills, you know, it should be a very, very, very intriguing, interesting game coming up on a Sunday afternoon between the Dolphins and the Bills that certainly, I know it's only week four, but certainly – uh certainly uh because um you know the we we could be looking down at the end of the season and it and we could have uh AFC uh East division uh division champion implications between these two te- between these two teams with the winner of these games um being the uh being the uh of course the tiebreaker game number two ravens and the browns man and the ravens and the Browns. you want to talk about a team that gets hit with the injury bug more more than a mug man listen to the injury report for the ravens this week coming against cleveland they have rashad bateman who never plays their uh young wide receiver at university of minnesota Rashad Bateman, Odell, both out. They're wide receivers. Marlon Humphrey, obviously out with uh, with his uh, with his foot, with the broken foot coming off of a foot surgery. Their linebackers, Adolfe Owe and David Ojabo, are out. So they got two outside linebackers. Their uh, corner, obviously, and Humphrey out. Two wide receivers in Odell and Bateman out. Ronnie Stanley, their tackle, their left tackle. He is doubt. He is doubtful for the game on Sunday. So you might as well uh, make. You might as well make, uh, push the list up to six guys, uh, with uh, with uh, half of them on the offensive side of the ball who are going to be out on Sunday. Questionable. Their safety Kai Hamilton. Their center Tyler Lindenbaum. Uh, safety Marcus Williams and running back Justice Hill. Boy, does that team not catch a break on the, with the injury bug. They don't catch a break. They head into Cleveland, a game that the Ravens are going to have to have. Um, they're 1-0 within the division with their win, obviously, coming against Cincinnati in Week 2. Have an opportunity to go 2-0 within the division with, with the two wins being on the road in the state of Ohio, which would uh, prove and which would help the Ravens' dividends in the long run, especially coming off of that inexcusable loss against Indianapolis last week. Cleveland right now, man, outside of that bad loss that they had against the Steelers on uh, on uh, Monday night, They've looked well for the most part to the first three weeks of the season with uh, two impressive dominating victories uh, at home uh, against the Bengals week one, Tennessee last week. No, uh, obviously no Nick Chubb the rest of the season. Deshaun Watson had his best game by far as a Cleveland Brown uh, on Sunday with a tremendous uh, performance through the air uh, with him. Uh, the get Kareem Hunt, obviously his return back to Cleveland this week. be interesting to see. Uh, how quickly uh, Stefanski uh, incorporates him with the uh, with their offensive game plan coming up on a Sunday afternoon, and can Deshaun Watson build upon his uh, tremendous performance against Tennessee uh, last week against a uh, Ravens secondary that is uh, that is beat up to hell, as we obviously have discussed pre- discussed previously. Uh, on this program, the Browns need this game, so they you know need this game. Uh, they're one and one within the AFC North. They can get to two and one and be all in, which would be which would be huge. They would be three and one on the regular season, two and one within their division 
with half of their divisional games already uh, taken care already uh, taken care of with uh, having played having played Pittsburgh on the road Cincinnati and Baltimore at home with them still having to go with them still having to go to Baltimore and Cincinnati and having to host Pittsburgh so if, if they could be 2 and 1 uh, and already halfway through their divisional schedule through the first four weeks of the season, all by the way with a three and one record, that could be very, very, very paramount for Cleveland in the long in the long run. Uh, and when it comes time to have the conversation of who is the team to beat and who is the uh, the heavy favorite uh, atop the AFC North, Ravens need this game. Obviously, like I mentioned not only for the psychological notion as a bounce back off of that horrendous home loss to Indianapolis last week, but also to keep and stay in stride with Cleveland with the, uh, with the uh, division record within the North as well. They have a one and oh record uh, trying to improve to two and oh with uh, them still having to play Pittsburgh left on their schedule in Pittsburgh and in Baltimore with after this game, them having yet to host Cleveland and them having to yet host uh, Cincinnati coming up later on down the road within the season. Ravens, it's a, it's about the mental, it's about the mental mistakes, man, doing the little things Right, that's taking care of the football. Lamar Jackson, who's fumbled a ton the first three weeks of the season, you fumbled a football against Cleveland, and that pass rush, their offensive line, which had you know had a good day against Cincinnati two weeks ago, but did not have a, a great game against the uh, Colts pass rush last week, as we discussed, gave up five sacks on the afternoon. Uh, last Sunday afternoon, the passing game, li- little to nothing was going on in terms of the uh, passing attack for Lamar Jackson and the crew last week, already down two wide receivers. They're going to rely on Mark Andrews heavily within the offensive game plan. What will Jim Schwartz do to a uh, game plan to take uh, Mark Andrews away and make Lamar Jackson rely on rely on uh, Zay Flowers and Devin Duvernay in a passing game will be int- it will be an interesting uh thing uh to uh find out as we get closer and closer to game time coming up on Sunday. But the Ravens got to take care of the football number 1. Lamar Jackson no interceptions, take care of the football, you know, Miles Garrett's going to come screaming, he's going to come hungry, uh looking for sacks. He's had a sensational start to, uh, to begin uh, this season. He's going to be out there looking for blood and getting after Lamar Jackson. Uh, so when he gets hit and he and they he will get hit uh, at least once or twice at bare minimum. You know, will Lamar Jackson be able to take care of the football and keep the ball and keep the ball off the ground? Because if he does and he puts the ball off on the ground, you see what the Cleveland defense does when they don't force turnovers. Uh, when when they don't when they don't force turnovers, when they do, you know, you're setting yourself up for a whole lot of hurt and pain. So Lamar Jackson's got to do a good job of taking care of the football within the pocket. When he gets sacked, either if you feel the pressure, throw the football away, or when you feel the heat, hold on to the football high and tight and take care of it and keep it up off the ground. And also to John Harbaugh with his clock management, we went through uh, went through on Tuesday. You know, final two minutes, he screws up. Uh, he screws up. Uh, you know, the play calling and the decision making. With uh, with Zay Flowers on the free kick, and obviously the the third and nine uh, jet sweep with uh, the aforementioned Zay Flowers as well. So the little things got to do the th- got to uh, execute and do the little things right. If you're Baltimore as well, the Commanders and the Eagles. 
the Commanders obviously undefeated at three and zero. The uh, Commies with the two and one record licking their wounds, coming off of their uh, their home loss. They got uh, shellacked by the Buffalo Bills on Sunday. Listen, the the Commanders were the team that knocked off the Eagles and ended their undefeated stretch. Uh, back in November on Monday night last season, can they do it again? Yes, but only, but if and only if uh, they uh, they find a way to stop the run. And the Eagles have enforced their will throughout the running game, a uh, plenty throughout the first uh, th- throughout the first three weeks of the season. And if Washington allows uh, Swift and Jalen Hurts to run the football exponentially uh, exponentially well. Um, for uh for the Eagles coming up on Sunday, then it's gonna be more of the same. You know, a twenty a twenty-three, twenty-seven, you know, to uh to six type of afternoon for uh Philadelphia because the defense because their defense has not blinked uh to begin the fir- to begin the season the first three weeks. Sam Howell had a rough day at the office last night, or excuse me, yesterday afternoon I should say. Uh sacked the plenty not uh, turn over the football. The Washington Commanders offense uh, f- uh, came into their first um, came into their first uh, roadblock. We'll see if it will uh, spiral out of control and if the snowball will uh, build and uh, and and grow and uh, get out of control. That's where uh, Ron Rivera's coaching, especially, uh, comes. You know where it comes uh, paramount. Uh, you know, when it comes, you know, not allowing the bad losses to to stockpile and for your season to snowball uh, out of control. But the commanders absolutely can win this game. They got stop the run and force Jalen Hurts to throw the ball. Not that he can't, but under this new offensive coordinator, of course, with Shane Steichen over there in Indianapolis, their their passing game has certainly to begin the first few weeks of the season has taken a step down. Uh, from what it was uh, last season with uh, with their passing game still trying to get uh, still trying to uh, find its traction here on the uh, on the young season but if they find a way to uh, get make Jalen Hurts throw the football force a couple of turnovers get after him make him get in, move in and out the pocket and uh, get him uneasy back there uh, I like the uh, commander's chances to knock off the undefeated defending NFC champions. But if they allow the Eagles to get into a groove where they're running the football that well, these huge chunk plays and these chunk runs with uh, Swift and Hurts running the football is going to be a long afternoon where where um, Sam Howe's going to be on the sideline a whole hell of a lot, and you're going to see first down after first down after first down after first down. So, uh, so the commander's defense certainly has their work cut out for them in the running game. Uh, in terms of offensively, they got to take care of the football, uh, protect – uh, certainly do a better job of protecting Howell on uh, set on Sunday afternoon than what they did against the aforementioned Bills pass rush uh, the other week, or excuse me, last week on Sunday, I should say. But um, but they, you know, they, I, I give the Commanders, you know, and I give Ron Rivera a ton of credit because one because a huge huge positive for them and for uh, this uh, football team has kind of been like their MO in the Ron Rivera era is that they are not afraid and they uh and they welcome 
the underdog role and being the underdog and they like playing with that underdog mentality. Nobody gives us a shot. Nobody gives us a chance. You know, they're the team that's undefeated. It's got everything going for them. We're not, you know, there's, you know, we appear dysfunctional, you know, that we don't have it all together. They, they thrive in that. We obviously saw it in 2020 in the COVID year when they walked into Pittsburgh and knocked off the then undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers. And obviously I said earlier in this uh, soliloquy how they walked into Philadelphia, forced turnovers left and right, defense wrecked havoc, whole nine yards, made Jalen Hurts' life a living hell in the Monday night game back in November uh, back in November of last season. So, but this is certainly a game where if you're the Eagles, you got to be on your P's and Q's and be on upset alert because if things, you know, don't go right early, expect the commanders uh, to take advantage and for uh, Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator, uh, to open up the playbook and let it fly because obviously going back to Super Bowl, his uh, the Eagles uh, defense had a tough time. Uh, stopping uh, the Chiefs' offense with a one-legged, even with a one-legged uh, Patrick Mahomes uh, at their uh, disposal back in uh, back in mid-February. But Eagles and Commanders, game number three. Game number four is the Monday night game between the uh, Seahawks and the uh, and the and New York Giants. If you're the Giants, man, you can't. If you can't find now, they are underdogs they're not as good as the uh, Seattle Seahawks I get that but if you're the Giants for your own psyche as Giants players and and for the you know for the Giants players within that locker room you want to prove to everyone else and to yourself that um that that you that you haven't skipped that you're going to be there in the thick of it in terms of competing for a playoff spot that you're not going to have this disappointing drop off of a season in 2023 you got find a way at home to beat Geno Smith returning to his old stomping grounds and find a way to beat the Seattle Seahawks at home on Monday Night Football because if you for seconds because of because if you drop a second straight home primetime game uh, and and get embarrassed and get ran out of the building, it's going to spell nothing but trouble, booze, angst, and uh, frustration uh, within the giant fan base and within the giant organization. And if you're the Seahawks, this is a game that you can't take lightly. You know, they slept walk and they got out to a slow start offensively against the Carolina Panthers last week at home and then throw in a couple of false start penalties because the 12th man of Seattle was on their game was it was you know was in their bag back in their Legion of Boom heyday years throw that in and a couple of empty drives with Andy Dalton at the helm and they found a way to get the job done but if you're Seattle you know the team's already going to be on edge they they're going to be uh, they're going to be uh Adrenaline's going to be high, prime time, and they're going to be looking to try to find that that early break in the game, whether it's a turnover, a costly penalty. They're going to find trying to find something to give them a little bit of a momentum and an and an emotional boost to try to to see if that can propel them to uh, to possibly stealing this game at home. So if you're Seattle, do not take the Giants lightly. Gotta be disciplined. Uh, no uh, pre-snap, uh, costly pre-snap penalties. Geno Smith's got to take care of the football. No drops. Run the football exponentially well, which uh, the 49ers were able to do uh, last Thursday night against them over in Santa Clara. Uh, but do a good job, take care of the football, and don't mess around. 
show that you mean business early and and you will have a uh, and you'll walk out of there you know with a 30 with a 35 13 victory you screw around and as they say fuck around and find out the Giants are going to, excuse me the Seahawks are going to find are going to find themselves on the short end of of uh, of the stick wondering why how the hell did we end up uh, losing losing a game to the one to the uh, one and two uh, inferior New York Giants so uh, that's where you stand in terms of week four in the National Football League is concerned. By the way, before we uh, switch gears to the college football, here's a stat for you concerning uh, Detroit. They have won six straight, hard to believe, six straight division games dating back to last season. That is tied for their longest in-division win streak in the Super Bowl era. Think about that. Detroit Lions off to a sensational start to begin the 2023 season, picking up right from where they left off in 2022. We turn our attention uh, to college football, a big time weekend with that week five of the college football season in 2023. Got some marquee games uh, on tap uh, for you. You got the first one, the big one that's on Fox Number eight ranked undefeated four and USC taking on a three and one Colorado USC is twenty one and a half uh, point underdogs heading into this game. Of course, Caleb Williams, the projected number one quarterback to come out of the draft uh, next April, he in his first three games, excuse me, first four games of the uh, young college football season is thrown for over a thousand yards already, one thousand two hundred passing yards, fifteen touchdowns. Zero interceptions. Uh, his completion percentage thus far at a seventy-four point three percent. He's ran for uh, seventy-one yards on twenty-one carries on the ground and uh, three uh, touchdowns on the season. As far as uh, Shador Sanders is concerned, a thousand one for ten, one touchdown, one interception. Come uh, Colorado, of course, coming off of uh, that loss uh, last week to uh coming off of the loss last week at at the hands of Oregon Sanders was 23 of 33 in that game as we discussed 159 in the touchdown pass a complete shellacking uh on that was dished out by the uh by the uh, Oregon Ducks as USC looks to improve the 5 and 0 on the season for the climb up the CFP uh rankings uh as we've discussed ad infinitum uh you know throughout the young college football season. The downfall for the Colorado defense is with, or excuse me, the downfall with Colorado is with their defense. And they're facing against the number one scoring offense in college football, who's also top five in the passing game as well. They've, the Colorado defense throughout the first four weeks has given up on average 33 points a game, allowing Allowing uh, two hundred average and two hundred sixty nine uh, passing yards per game, uh, USC ranks third in college football in passing yards with three hundred forty one pass yards throughout the first four weeks, uh, and like I said, they're first in points. Uh, which is a huge defensive mismatch for Colorado. Uh, they really have their work cut out for them heading into the game on uh, su- heading into the game on uh, Sunday afternoon. Uh, you know, again, uh, it, have not seen or heard word 
uh, because I know that uh, that Hunter uh, made it known to Dion that he wanted to play in the game in the worst way uh, coming up on uh, coming up tomorrow afternoon that he wanted to play on a Saturday in the worst way imaginable. But obviously, it doesn't look like that they're uh, that they're going to uh, that they're going to. Um, Risk it. Prime said a lot of good things about uh, Williams throughout the throughout the week. Uh, certainly sung his praises. Williams three twenty two, three touchdown passes over uh, Arizona State of game. Of course, they won forty two uh, twenty eight. Uh, but again, the the Trojan star power with Lincoln Riley, offensive guru and genius that he is, is he's constructed. Uh, one of the more high-flying, you obviously saw the tremendous work he did at Oklahoma, and he's going to USC and done the same thing, putting together a uh, top-tier high-flying offense that's for sure, at least he hopes, is to uh, is to carry USC to a Final Four and a potential national championship. Colorado 0-16 all-time against the USC. Hunter will miss the game, second straight game with a lacerated uh, with a lacerated liver, uh, Shiloh Sanders is questionable. Uh, Dion did say throughout the week, though, that he is hopeful for him to return. Uh, he got transported to the hospital earlier this week because he was uh, because he was urinating blood. Prime said he was doing much better on uh, Tuesday, and uh, Shador Sanders was sacked seven times. Uh, who's a uh, statue behind a center? As hard as that is to believe. Uh, you will see if whether or not Riley will uh, and his coach and his defensive coaching staff will put together some uh, uh, defensive schemes to get uh, Shiloh off his uh, to get uh, Shiloh off uh, off his game and to kind of rattle him a little bit, force him to make some ill-advised throws down the field and hope and get a uh, and spark a snowball effect where uh, Colorado will just will have nothing going. They, you know they won't be able to move the ball downfield. You know, you know, worth worth two feet, let alone uh, five, ten, fifteen, twenty-five yards. And USC, who looking to roll uh, Colorado right out of the bold, the building, up in uh, up in Boulder. Uh, so, get Colorado USC. That's at noon on Fox. Is game number one. Game number two. You also have uh, the battle of the undefeateds. Number twenty-four ranked Kansas going up against number uh, three ranked uh, Texas at a game going on down in uh, down in Austin. Should be a very intriguing matchup uh, down there. It's Texas number third ranked uh, team in the country as where they stand right now. Uh, Texas. Uh, currently with their uh, quarterback, uh, Ewers, who had a very solid performance a couple of weeks ago uh, down at Tuscaloosa against the uh, against the Alabama Crimson Tide. He's, uh, he's eclipsed a thousand yard uh, passing march with passing mark with nine touchdowns, zero interceptions uh, on uh, on his zero interceptions on uh, his account. Give you uh, the uh, stats in terms of where uh, te- where uh, Texas stands. Uh, he with um in terms of where they stands with their uh rankings thus far this uh in terms of their rankings thus far this season uh why can't I find it on my little sheet here it is uh with uh te- with uh, Texas of course averaging thirty five points thirty five points a game going against a K a, a, a <coughs> excuse me Kansas Jayhawk. Uh, defense, which um, 
has allowed 22 points. My voice is almost at my wit's end doing this show. And then, of course, screaming the yelling at the Orioles game for three hours. Um, has averaged on has given up on average 22 points a game with the Longhorn defense, man. How strong have they been this season? Uh, they get they uh, are 12th in all of college football and points allowed with 12 and a half uh, points allowed per game, uh, averaging nine, averaging 87 yards on the ground, 211 yards uh, passing. Uh, so it's going to be – so the Texas Longhorn defense, which made uh, life difficult for uh, Alabama, especially in the second half two weeks ago – or excuse me, longer than two weeks. Was that – I believe it was two weeks ago, if I'm not mistaken, uh, against Alabama a, a handful of weeks ago, looking to uh, make life difficult on the uh, Jayhawk offense. That game, 330 on ABC, LSU Ole Miss – uh, 13th ranked LSU, who's a three and one and has not looked back since their embarrassing shellacking uh, down in Orlando at the hands of uh, of uh, Florida State week one. They've won three games in a row. Meanwhile, Old Miss three and one on the season, having lost last time out to the aforementioned Alabama. Uh, down in uh, Tuscaloosa, Tuscaloosa. I always add the extra C. I don't know why. Tuscaloosa, Tuscaloosa. <laughs> I can't pronounce that word. Tuscaloosa. I can't I can't get it through without saying Tuscaloosa. Tuscaloosa. I can't say it. I Tuscaloosa. I know I'm able to get it as if I sound it out. But they uh took their beating last week at the hands of the Crimson Tide uh on the road last week. Both teams three and one, trying to uh, get their uh, seasons uh, back on, trying to get their uh, seasons uh, on the up and up, and try to uh, with still plenty of college football left remaining. Week this is uh, week five. They got six, six, uh, five, six weeks left to go. But uh, this is again that both of these two squads, especially LSU, have to have to uh, to get their uh, season back on the uh, train tracks towards a uh, towards a national championship game run. And of course, Notre Dame and Duke, Duke, of course, having college game dairy down there for the you know for the first time in quite some time uh, during the football season, at the very least. Number ranked at seventeen at four and zero on the season. Meanwhile, Notre Dame fought fell in number eleven this week, four and one, coming off of their uh, soul crushing uh, loss, last second loss at home against uh, Ohio State last season. So you got three marquee marquee college football games at your disposal. You have uh, one at night. Two, you have one at night, two in the after, excuse me, two at night, one in the uh, late afternoon, one in the early afternoon, making USC and Colorado play a game that's going, you know, it's at eight, nine o'clock in the morning, uh, local time, a little, a little rough to take, but welcome to, uh, welcome to TV with uh, USC headed to the uh, Big Ten. Um, you know, <laughs> you might as well, if you're a USC uh, fan, alum, uh, booster, current student, you might as well get yourself prepared for the uh, 8 a.m., uh, no, for the, excuse me, the 9 a.m. Uh, kickoff times over there in uh, in Southern California. When we come back, we will have Michael Babchick standing by for a conversation. Should be an entertaining one. Looking forward to chopping it up, chopping it up with uh, our guy, uh, Michael Babchick, host of The Morning Men on Sirius XM, Mad Dog Sports Radio. This is the Amatella Catalia's podcast. We'll be back in just a moment.
Welcome back to the Yamatelica TIS podcast. Joining me now is a guest that I've wanted to have on the program for the last uh, three, four years. He is the host and the premier man of uh, Morning Men on uh, Mad Dog Sports Radio, their flagship morning drive time program. Uh, he is a uh, what he likes to call himself an everyman. He is the people's champ this side of Dwayne The Rock Johnson, the one and only Michael Babchik. Michael, good morning. How are you doing, my friend? Oh, what's up, Jai? It's always a pleasure, man. We go way back, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to come on and do the podcast. And like I told you, I give you about seven, eight minutes, and you said we're going to need a little <laughs> more time than that. Let's see how long I last. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think people. People don't want to hear me for an hour. Sure. Then again, I am oh, off yes, for three every single day. So I appreciate you. You've always been a great fan, good friend, and so here we are now. Let's go get it. Well, absolutely. We got lots to dive into. First off, <laughs> give a background of what it was like growing up in the Babchick household. You were born June of 1980, if I'm not mistaken. So, you, so your childhood was the 80s and early 90s. Uh, you tell stories of your father and your mother all the time. Your father with his breath smelling like coffee and tuna fish. Yep, uh, your yep. mother, who was, a, who was a teacher that has that uh, distinctive voice. Uh, and then, of course, your brother, Paul, who you've been competing with <laughs> all throughout your life. Give the audience <laughs> a little bit of a deep dive of what it was like growing up in the Babchick household in uh, Mamaroneck, New York, in the 1980s. Oh, well, you know what? No, nah, man. I was in the 80s. I was in Howard Beach, Queens. You know, that's where I get my toughness from. Um, that's right. I'm from those sides of the streets of Howard Beach, Queens. Just two blocks away from some guy named John Gotti. You know, so just a couple blocks away, man. And so, yeah, we realized we got to get the hell out of that neighborhood. That neighborhood was kind of falling apart. Um, there was too many stories in the New York Post. And so when I was, I think, 9 or 10, we went down to New Rochelle, New York. And we got out of Howard Beach, Queens. But, you know, you said me and my brother have always had a little bit of a rivalry going on. It's one-sided, though. I'm like the Patriots in that aspect, and, and he's the Jets. <laughs> now, my parents will look at him. He's Tom Brady, and I'm like Zach Wilson. So, you know, it depends on how you look at it. But I think I've won that rivalry over the years. But uh, my brother, we're very close in age, so we're always fighting. And I blame him for being the size I am today because I wasn't breastfed. Um, growing up, I was not breastfed because my uh, brother uh, threw a, a fit on day one of my mom trying to do that and pushed me out of the way and tackled me and threw me to the ground, apparently, as a tiny little baby, <laughs> as a little infant. And my mother was like, you know what? I'm not going to give I'm not, it's too much for Paul. And would they just stop? That's why I have a tiny torso. And so that's a big problem. And then, like, when we were sharing rooms for so long in Howard Beach, Queens, um, the same when we got to. Uh, Nourishelle, there was a room upstairs that was so close to him that I was like, nah, I'd rather live in the basement because I want to get away from my brother. And then I spent my formal growing years sleeping in a couch. The, the size of the couch, you know, the length of it was about 5'5", five, five, which is exactly what I am today. Because <laughs> I didn't have any room to grow. I'm almost like the fish that you put in a tiny fish tank. You put the fish out in the sea or a big fish tank, you're going to grow. You put it in a small fish tank, it won't. So I blame my brother for uh, my lack of height. It has nothing to do with the fact that my mother's 4'10 and my father's on a good day 5'8. So it's got nothing to do with that. I think it's my brother who put me there. But listen, all the upbringing, that was a crazy house growing up. It still is a crazy house. 
My father, you nailed it. He's got the coffee breath. He's got the tuna. Uh, my dad was never really into sports. I got him into sports. What he used to like to do was Saturdays, he was a Braves fan because he put the Braves game on TPS and he'd go to bed. <laughs> that was the national team. And he liked putting that on and, and taking a little nap in the afternoon. But he, I was more the Jets fan, and I pushed him to that. He was a Yankee fan for a little bit, only because my grandfather, um, his job when he came over on a boat, they all came over on a boat um, right. from the old country, from Germany. They come over yes. on a boat, and um, right away my uh, my grandfather realized that you know sports was huge, and he, he was a tailor, and he started making uh, jerseys, Jets jerseys, Yankees jerseys, and I have a Yankee jacket, the insignia completely wrong. You don't eat, the Y was all off to the right because he was making bootleg jerseys, so we'd always have a, plenty of jackets and jerseys in the house. But still, I became more of the sports fan growing up, and then I got my dad, you know, semi into it. And here we are today. <laughs> this is a perfect segue in your introduction to sports. What was, um, because in the 1980s, if, you know, the Yankees weren't very good. No. Um, it, the Mets really were the, were the baseball team in New York back in the 80s. And then football-wise, the, the Jets kind of, you know, they had like the little niche with Mark, um, hell is his name? The uh, pass rusher that had the mullet and the mustache. Oh, Gastineau. Uh, Gastineau, yeah. Come so you had now. him. How do you not know also... the sack exchange? What are you doing here? <laughs> yes, the New York sack exchange. Come on now. Yes, Let go. Gastineau, let's go. Absolutely. So you had him and then, of course, the Giants. Who could forget the 86, uh, the 86 championship in Parcells and LT with Phil Simms, quarterback, and Carl yeah. Banks and uh, Harry Carson and all those guys. I can't. Well, I don't remember. I don't remember the '86. I remember the '90 Giants, obviously with the kick. But yes, mm-hmm. you may continue. So you say. So, yeah, so you have all of that. What was uh, what was the New York sports scene like for you specifically growing right. up as a growing up as a kid? Well, you know, I was in Queens, right? So you know, there was mostly Mets fans. That was it. It was obviously Mets fans. And back then, like you're saying, the Yankees were terrible in anyway. So then you had football where the Giants were high. So even though Queens is really, you know, a hotbed for Mets Jets, and that time, you know, growing up when you're seven, eight years old, everybody was rooting for the Mets and the Giants. See, I didn't like that. I wanted to go opposite. So I thought at that point, let me let me take the you know the Jets, let me take on the Yankees, just because I liked even then, you know, especially you know once you're nine, ten and then you get to, you know, the teenage years. I like going against everybody. That was just in me from the get-go. I wanted to be the heel. I wanted to be the bad guy. And I wanted where the school bus was all wearing, you know, the orange and blue. I was like, I don't want I'd rather wear the Yankee colors. And when everybody was wearing the blue, I wanted to wear the green. And so that's really why I chose those teams. Gaston was before my time a little bit, too. I don't really didn't get into sports until, you know, 9 or 10 when, you know, the 90s came around. But still, I remember early on that I wanted to be the fan of everybody the opposite. Turns out, you know, by, by you know, 96, the Yankees were obviously pretty damn good. So, But I would never, if I was born in 96 or I was a child then and I didn't already have my team, I would never pick the Yankees. I hated the fact that everybody was going with the winners. I wanted to go with the losers. I thought they'd build more class, more character, and I also liked the fact that I could talk smack to people even at an early age. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, because we're kind of in the same boat with that. I now me a little bit different. 
I because we obviously bundle. We don't have mul- you know multiple uh, teams and obviously baseball and football. But I grew up, you know, fell off the Orioles first, so I was like with everybody. Wanted to be part of that like that general communal feeling of being one with the Orioles, and then yes. also like that ha- I have that part of my personality where I where I like being, you know, where I like being the heel. I like being the provocative asshole that goes against that goes yeah. against the grain. So thus I you know, I became a Cincinnati Bengals fan. Yep. So I to- I totally get that. Now, what do you specifically who were your favorite uh players growing up at, growing up as a kid? Cuz I know with me Obviously, oh, Chad Johnson, who got inducted into the uh, Bengals Ring of Honor last night, he was by far my favorite football player growing up as a kid. Who were you, who were your guys, your favorite baseball, football, basketball players that you grew up just idolizing as a kid? Yeah, you know, it's it's weird because, uh, you know, yes, Don Manley was the dude, right? Because I was growing up, I was towards the tail end of his career. You know, I really, like, the season that was the strike was the season that I fell in love with baseball. And, of course, it was, like, ripped away from me. You know, the season back, at, it was 94, right? Where, 94, you know, the yep. season that was, Yankees were amazing, the Expos were great, that was going to be Don Manley. Then in 95, it was Don Manley, Buck Showalter, and, of course, everybody else there. And they came so close, but they lost to Seattle, and that was the end of Donnie baseball by then 96, you know, the core four Joe Torrey takes over the rest is history. So uh, yeah, I like mm-hmm. Don Manley, you know, for the jets, I was following the team. Vinny Testaverde was my guy. That was the guy. That was the guy they brought here. We had success with Bill Parcells. And then it was a year where after John Elway won it, went to the AFC championship game, everybody thought we were going to do great. And because we're the jets and you know, life is a, is a, is a black cloud. All right. It just is. There's dark clouds everywhere, man. And so if you're a Jets fan, you should live in misery. And that's what we had. So that we had that before Aaron Rodgers. Of course, Vinny Testaverde goes down untouched in the first game in a year where they had a lot of hype. But I also liked the Philadelphia Phillies. If you think about the Phillies teams in the 90s, right? They were fat. They were hairy. They would eat their boogers. They would fart. You know, guys like Pina Gavilia was a guy that I, like, fell in love with because he was a mess. And I was like, all right, man, that could be the type of athlete that I could be. You know, a little fat, a little porty, you know, got the, got the beard. I, that's who I related to. I could never relate to, like, even then, at a young age, the guys who were, like, in great shape. It was the fat guys. And, like, you they couldn't had John relate Crook. to Ken Griffey Jr. You Hell no, man, Griffey that's a prodigy. Jr. You know, John Crook, I can relate to, though, all right? It felt like it. Lenny Dykstra, <laughs> I feel like I can relate to. Pina Cavillia was one of those guys that right away I fell in love with. And there was plenty of guys in the Yankees. I know Jesse Barfield was a guy who, like, tossed me a foul ball once as a little kid, and I missed it. But it was those types of guys. It was the fat guys on the team, the strange guys. And back then, I loved hockey, too. You know, growing up, I liked the Devils, and I, you know, I watched the Rangers and the Devils in that game, Madison Square Garden. Everybody was a Ranger fan, so I chose the Devils. We couldn't get cable. My dad was so cheap. We only had cable in the summer, all right? That was it. During the, during the year, though... We would carry over a wire, a cable wire from the neighbor that he'd hook up without telling him and drag it over. So I remember watching oh the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, I guess it wasn't in the summer, right? What is the Stanley Cup Finals? I remember it's watching in the summer. That. Stanley Cup Finals is in the summer. What it's in month? June. Is it? Okay, it's right. in June. Right. So that was exactly. not the summer yet. We only got the cable in July and August. That was like a gift you had to get through school. So I remember watching the Eastern Conference Finals 
in my kitchen TV that was connected to the neighbor's cable, and I'm watching Matt Toe beat me. But the hockey, I like guys like Bobby Holik, Mike Peluso, Claude Lemieux. The, the ugly guys, the big guys, those are the type of guys. And obviously then I fell in love as a Yankee fan with David Wells. David Wells is one of my all-time mm-hmm. favorite players because he's fat and he likes to drink beer. Absolutely. The Derek Jeter, as much as you love him, you guys are a pole. No, no, I didn't like it. Oh, when it was Jeter and A-Rod, I liked that was Team A-Rod because even though A-Rod, you know, you know, cared about fitness, he liked to cheat. Now that was relatable to me, man. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> the cheating aspect. Well, cheat Jeter on the field or cheat on his girlfriends? Well, whatever, both. Jeter, you know, on the field, I was like, this guy just works too damn hard. You know, he's putting it all in. I respect a lot. Obviously, I actually think I respect Jeter off the field more than I do on. As great as he was on, off the field, he never got locked up. He never got married. You know, think about it. He never got tied down. And that's what I meant by locked up. Instead, he played the field until he knew he was going to retire. And then, obviously, he put a ring on a finger. But that's the way you should do it. Every kid. Patrick Mahomes Patrick Mahomes is doing it all wrong. The high school sweetheart. Oh, my God. What are you thinking, man? All the ladies you can get, and you're going to lock yourself up with a high school sweetheart? Yikes. A, 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 a mid one at that? I mean, all the... Mid. Do you want to talk about something? Let me see if we see the same eye on this. Is there nothing more overrated in life than the whole notion of a high school sweetheart? That is the most overblown, most overrated sack of garbage I've ever heard in my life. High school sweetheart. Okay, fine. High school sweetheart, they get married, they're divorced before their 45th birthday. I mean, give me a break. High school sweetheart, my Uh, ass. Especially especially a pro athlete with all the options. If you have no options and, you know, you married the prom queen and you're some loser, you know, who's hanging out playing on the chess team or maybe playing on the tennis team, like I did, by the way. Uh, Varsity, mind you. Varsity. You know, then I get it. But when you have options in life, why? Think about it. You're living the best life. Why are we jealous of the pro athlete, right? Because we want to be them. That's why we got so much anger and hate. Like, ah, screw them. Because we want to be them. They can get any girl they want. Look at Travis Kelsey right now. He's like, you know what? Let me let me go for a ride with Taylor Swift and see how that goes. Expensive why? mid. Expensive mid. But you may continue. <laughs> yeah, Taylor Swift's not for me. I mean, her body's not for me. It's just, she ain't. I mean, you know, she's not you doing it. You might, you might as well be, you might as well, she has the body definition of an iPhone. I mean. Yeah, it's a diving board. I like to say the body of a diving board. I like it a little more meat on the bones. I get it. She's yes. very successful and everything. Don't want the Swifties coming after me. Actually, that would be good for your podcast. Well, I br- br- well, bring them on, damn it. I ain't scared them of on. them Swifties. Like, right. like, what, uh, do I, can I, let me see if I can find the uh, sound clip. If I have Bernie Mac saying, I ain't scared of you, MFs. Let me see if I can find yeah. it right quick. And I'll yeah, play get that it. in there, man. Let, let me play it. Let me play it. Oh, here it is. Here we go. Do we have it? Bernie, do we have it? Let's see. Load here we go. Here. Things loading, taking forever. Let me see. Here we go. You leave this in when you put the podcast out? This is the part you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 this is great radio. <laughs> oh, a bunch of dead air. Okay, then we yes, just absolutely. keep talking. No but we'll find it. Um, I'll yeah. pull it up. But uh, but yeah. So it's just, and I appreciate, and I look. I'm an Orioles fan, and yeah. there's a lot of Orioles fans. You know, I see on Twitter, and they can't stand Derek Jeter. They find him overrated. Quite frankly, if it's me, I look up more. I I model after more of Derek Jeter than I do Cal Ripken. They they might toss me in the harbor for that, 
But Derek Jeter, well, I, I can't well, stand the Yankees, but Derek Jeter has always, always, always been my guy. Like he ha- he is my favorite player on the team that I hate the most. And uh, like and when I look at him and how he conducted himself when he was the king of New York, I'm like, if God blesses me to become the Derek Jeter of sports broadcasting, I'm gonna be him. I am gonna be the suavest. I'm going to be the suavest, the suavest, most sexy motherfucker that that any <laughs> lady has ever set their eyes on. And I'm a, and I'm going to have so many gorgeous girlfriends throughout my adult life. People, people are going to be people are going to be jealous. How, yeah. How's so that I working actually, out for you? How's that working out for you, though? How's that working out? You OK? Well, 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 shit. I at the school that I go to, man, the, the, if you were to find, you know, you'd be hard pressed to find a Mariah Carey or Hannah Jeter at this place. Uh, Why are you I, looking for that? Why at I your age, at man? How old are you? 21. How, 21. You should have zero expectations. All right? No standards. Zero. No standards. Don't put yourself real high. Why would you think between the ages of like 16 and 25 that standards matter? Well, that's just, you're just wasting they time. They do. These are the formidable years. Go crazy, man. Go on every ride. You're tall enough. Every single one that you can get, you should. Experience life that way. And then when you're on the other side of 25, or maybe 30, or 35, then you can settle down. But right now, you need to be learning about yourself and women. You should know more about women. Instead, you're sitting here talking to me. What are you thinking? (laughs) Go out there and live. Well, I'm talking to you because a, I like talking to you, and b, well, I got it's it's, it's my sh- it's my show day, so I got sure. I got to talk to I got to talk to you, and then I also got to you know break down film study of all the uh, of all the football. But anyway, well, of course. But I'm just saying, in life, if a girl came up to me, you know, I like the girls. We've said before in the show, I like them breathing. If you come up to me and you say, "Hey, I'm interested in you," and you know they're talking to me, "Hey, I Mike, I like you," which by the way, it's never happened. That's why I'm so fl- I'm flustered. Because I can't even think of the hypothetical, but in the in the situation where some woman comes up to me and goes, "Hey, you're pretty cute. You're cute too. You're cute too. That's all it takes. Let the girl like you. All right. You don't gotta love them back, Jai. Just like them for a night or two. <laughs> for a night. Before. Uh, speak. Speaking of girls and one night stands, your experience in high school and in college. Break down uh, what it was like going to high school. Um, in in the 1990s, which to me, because my father went to was in high school in the 90s, which seemed yeah. to me is it was the greatest decade to be in high school. Explain to me what what <laughs> Mike Babchick circa 1990s in high school was like. Well, you know, yeah, I, I loved high school. I loved all my schooling. All right, I I, I loved going. I loved going to high school. I loved going to college. And I did, I did end up doing six years in college. But in high school, that's how much I liked it. High school, maybe you're right. Maybe it was a better time. But there was bullies galore. And the stuff that would go down would never happen today. You know, I'm talking yes. to my, my son. He's 12. You know, they care about the kids. I don't know if they ever cared about what went on to the kids outside of that classroom. You know, back then, they would let people get their ass kicked left and right. And you could be bullied left and right verbally, physically. And nothing would really change. I mean, now it seems like people care more because they don't want to get in a lot of trouble. It's a different way of life and thinking. Obviously, some people call it the westification of America. 
I would say I would prefer that I, it would be surviving. Because, I mean, I was thrown in a locker many a time, was thrown into a lake. I was given the super wedgie. I got the, I got the chocolate swirly, not just the swirly, the chocolate swirly. So, so a lot of things that went down in high school do make you stronger and all that good stuff. But, man, oh, man, I love what we're having now. I consider now the participation era. And I wish we had that. I like the fact that my kid gets trophies for losing. I'm into that. I like the fact that everybody wants to be friendly with everybody. I like that. Like, where was that when we were growing up? So back then, it sucked. I couldn't get on a football team. I had no awards. I couldn't get on a basketball team. However, we did win states, man. I did win states when I was in high school in football with the with Ray Rice. I won states. Because <laughs> I was, yeah, it does. I was at the high school when we won states. Nourish High School won states. I won states. Okay? Nourish High School. We are now going to open up this debate where, and he's had this on his program many a times of him counting himself as a high school state champion because he went to the same high school. It's not the same, Mike, as, um, it's not the same as, you know, the Jets winning the Super Bowl. It's a little, it's a little different when it, when it's a school setting, we meaning winning a championship, especially in high school, you got to be on the team. Well, uh, see, this is where we disagree. It's like, why does every player on the team get a ring? Even the guy who's there for like 10 days, right? It's crazy. You see it a lot in sports. You know, guys there, then they're gone. They're trading half the year. You have no idea the impact they made in that one game or in that locker room. And you don't know the impact I had on hanging out with Ray Rice and talking to him in the hallway and pumping him up, putting a smile on his face. Maybe I changed his mood that day. And he went out there and he kicked some ass. You don't know, all right? I know. I'm a state champion. You're not. I am. Deal with that. You're funny. You're funny. Deal with that. Um, and and the six years at uh, at University of Albany, uh, explain why you were wow. in college for it. The only kids that are allowed to be in college for that long are the kids right here in the 2020s that had to deal with COVID. <laughs> why were you in college for six years? Uh, yeah, I had a lot of yeah. It was before COVID. I look, I had a lot of fun in college, but. I was sent there. First of all, it was a shock that I made it. I my guidance counselor really helped me out in high school, and like knew a guy at the board. I I, I got nose. You no, know, this is New York. I got nose across the board in New York at lesser schools. You know, Stoneyanta. I really wanted to go to. You know, they call it that for a reason. And obviously, I I did not make it. And the rest of them put me on a waiting list, and I didn't make it. But Albany put me on a waiting list, and then I I knew somebody, and I got in. That was good. So my dad was so happy and shocked because he thought I would never graduate high school. That he, he said to me, he's like, I'm going to pay for your first semester. Based on how it goes, I'll continue to pay. But you have to do your studies, okay? If you get anything below a 2.0, I'm not paying. That's it. That's the deal. I said, all right, no problem. Let's get it on, man. I think he said 2.5. I, I have the contract. My father's a lawyer, so everything was signed. So I, I got to pull that out one day. You know, like when I bought my first car, I had to sign some contract with him. It wasn't even his car. Uh, but, yeah, everything's in writing. In fact, once in high school, he came to, like, get me. They called once. I was caught cheating. And he showed up in high school. Like, they couldn't get my mom. And I was like, just call my mom because it was better. My father showed up, gave me a bill, and billed me for his time. And I had to pay that back. And, you know, he charged me, like, 500 bucks for the hour. Again, lawyer, always thinking. So, you know, first semester I go in there, I'm like, oh, this is unbelievable. I'm not even paying for this, man. This is unbelievable. Uh, I think I got a... I think I got a point eight or a point six, something like that. I did enough where I wasn't thrown out of school. I had to go through some meetings, but my dad stopped paying. So I was like, all right, man, I got to really focus. And um, 
I never did get the grade that he wanted. I had to end up paying the rest of college. But I ended up figuring out a way to do just enough, the bare minimum, just to pass each year. No, no matter what that was, it could have been three classes I'd have to drop to. You know, I think there was one semester where I had zero credits. I'm not sure how that works. I took classes like Planet Earth, just the strangest, the art, bowling, the strangest things that I could figure out just to stay alive. And he, I was there every summer, too. So I was taking summer classes, and eventually you figure it out. But that's a lesson for you kids out there, okay? Yes. When it's time to do a little bit of work, you do it. And then yeah. when you don't have to do the work, you put your feet up and coast. Coast, then work, then coast again, then work, coast, work, coast. Figure out a way to do just enough to get by. And I graduated college somehow, some way. Which, by what the way, was your main... point, it was a, yeah, my major was communications. I was a psych uh -huh. minor. See how smart I am? I was a psych minor. And I think it was a <laughs> 2. Point, right. And I graduated with a 2.03. It was either a 2.03 or 2.13. That's what I graduated college with. Obviously, you fail. You know, so you see, just enough. Just enough. Yeah. So um, did you, when you were growing up as a kid and even into a teenage, you know, teenager, like for me, I was fortunate enough to where, you know, sophomore in high school, one day I woke up, I was like, I know what I want to do with my life. Did you ever have that epiphany yeah. as a as a high school or even in college of, you know, what you wanted your career path or like a goal you wanted to uh, reach as an adult? Did you ever have that epiphany growing up or no? No, I never, never had that. Uh, even like in high school, I was failing English because I was spending so much time smoking weed that my my teacher was like, we got to do something. So you're, you're lucky. It's like senior year. You could do this internship. And then it turns into just a pass-fail. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I like that, man. Let's do the pass-fail deal. And then I would just pass English. It wouldn't be a grade. And he's like, just here's a list of things where you could do local internships. And, uh, you know, there's a couple of things that I was thinking about. And he's like, why don't you just do radio? Because you never shut up. I was like, all right, man, let's do it. So that's when I got my first taste of radio. I did, like, a local internship. And I befriended a guy, Matt Deutsch who's one of the you know top guys in the world in the fantasy sports. He's got his own app. Uh, better. Better. That's the app. Better. Better. See? See what oh, he did there? Very clever yeah, guy. Yeah. And so, yeah, he was good. So then when, like, college is starting to roll down, I'm in year five, and they, like, I'm like, uh, they wanted me to do it again. I was like, oh, let me do an internship. And I started thinking about, like, all right, again, I got to figure out a way to pass. So I befriended a guy at the local radio station. I got to pass fail, even though I never showed up for any of the radio stuff. At Albany, didn't call any of the games, never saw a sporting event, nothing. Again, a lot of weed. Um, but then I was like, all right, where can we go from there? So there was another one that you could do where I could do an internship, signing up, and it could use this credit. I was like, all right, man. And then just so happens, my good friend, Matt Deutsch, who I knew from the last one, was working at WFAN in New York. Because of that, I reached out to him. He hooked me up with the internship. I get the internship. That kind of failed miserably. Uh, I knew Mike and the dog. You know, I, I've had many encounters with him. Mike Francesa, my job was to get his giant um, lunch, which I was like, all right, this guy's got to be in, like, a sloppy gel. Instead, it was like a giant a salad with, like, you know, no dressing. And I was like, all right, he's watching his weight. This is pretty good. So Mike's trying to lose some weight. But then right after it was over, he'd come up to me, like, hey, kid, see the vending machine? Go to the vending machine, C7. I want two of them. Go get it, kid, okay? That's my mic. <laughs> what does he get from the vending machine? I get a piece of gum after his salad. It was two Texas-sized cinnamon buns. He loved cinnamon buns. Hey, 
Turns out, I don't think he was ever on a diet. I think because of those cameras, and yes, he was eating stuff, so it appears like it. Uh, he would eat a lot, man. So you get into cinnamon buns. Like Doggy, Doggy one time came in, and it just tells you how different. Doggy would come in, he'll remember your name. Uh, yeah, yeah, Mike, my, my, uh, 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 Mark. Mark? No, it's Mike. Hey, Mikey, Mikey. Hey, come on, I, I, you gotta do something for me today. Very important. Are you gonna watch my kids? And I remember going like, into the basement of the fan, the story of Queens. I was watching, like, Timmy Russo. I, who knows how old? <laughs> that was my job of the day. And I was, like, playing games with him. We're on the floor. I babysat Chris Russo's kids. That was one of my jobs. But the other part of the internship, it didn't go as great as I expected. I didn't get the job at the fan, or I got it for a little bit. But there, it was a you know, it was a period where they were, like, viewing me, and I missed a couple shifts. You know, I think those Richard Near 6 a.m. to noon shifts – that wasn't me on the Sundays. That wasn't, no. So I missed a couple of those. But then Matt Deutsch went over to Sirius XM, and eventually I went to Sirius XM as well, Steve Cohen and Matt Deutsch, because I wrote, I reached out to those guys, and I was like, man, I know people. That was, and, and there was also about 10 radio jobs in between as well. So I've been working for a long time. I've been working since I was 14. But really, my, my dream when I was like 13 was to make bagels. And I achieved that at like 15 years old when I worked at Sammy's Bagels. I love bagels. And so when you achieve your dreams at 15, where do you go from there? You know where you go? Radio. And here I am today. Wow. Unbelievable. So quick notion, you babysitting dogs, kids. So when you see yeah. dogs, kids, you know, the Colin, who's my age, who's in college, and now yeah. Timmy, who's now the assistant at Arizona – you're not you're not old, but like, do you say to yourself, "Damn, like, wow, like I am old, like this guy, nah. he's graduated college, and now he's a high, and now he's a college basketball coach, D one, and like, and look at me, I'm 41, 42 years of age in a basement, still, you know, working with his father on the same radio station. Nah. That that is that's, yeah, that's pretty that's cool. Crazy. Now you know what? I'm not a big like reflector, man. I like to just go by the day. I'm a day-by-day -day type of guy because you never know what happens, and I think this business proves it. You know, at any minute, it all could be over. So I, I, I tend to not talk about, you know, my career with the family because, like, you know, the day that I do go, hey, look at me. Look how great I am. I mean, man, I'm kicking ass every single morning. Man, dog sports right. Look at me. You're fired. That's what I always thought <laughs> would, would be the case. So I don't do a lot of retrospective stuff like that, and I never thought, yes. like, oh, my God, I'm working here with Mike and the Mad Dog. No, and, and like again, I'm working down the hall from Stern, and you're working at all these. You're meeting all these famous people. I don't know, man. I always thought like, hey, man, they're just like us. And so, no, when I was hanging with Timmy Russo at Bar A, having some fun, I never even that thought didn't even pop in my head. I've never told him that story, you know, because I just forgot it. Again, I'm I'm one of these day by day kind of dudes. What have you done for me lately? And I don't like to yeah. think about the big picture because big picture. I'll think about it one day when I'm retired at the age of fifty. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> at the age of 50, you'll still be raising children. Um, They're right. But speaking of which, um, so how do you, you know, how do you, cause you're, you know, you have that every man's, you know, personality and that aura, like you don't consider yourself, you know, like you say, you live in a moment. Yeah. So when you go to work and it's like, uh, Babs, you have, uh, you know, like for instance, at the Super Bowl. Babs, you have uh, you're interviewing uh, Camille Kostick at uh, eight oh five. You have uh, James Harrison at seven twenty, and then here is uh, Derek Brooks at eight thirty. It's like when you hear you know you're interviewing 
uh, you're interviewing Hall of Fame ex-athletes, current stars, you know, especially in the NFL. Yeah. And then, oh, by the way, here's a gorgeous Sports Illustrated Super Bowl model to boot. Like, do you ever say to yourself, honestly, you know, you don't do retrospectives. So like, in the moment when you hear that, it's like, holy shit, like, what type? This life is unbelievable that I'm living. Do you do, do, do you ever have like that moment where it's like you you feel like that what you do for a living that it, it's a it's a uh, it's a dream or anything like that? Yeah, you know what? No, I don't do a lot of that. I actually try to think about them, thinking about looking over Emil. Camille Kostic looks at me, you know, with my big old hunchback and you know my taco meat, you know, hanging out of my chest, and thinking, oh my god. What an honor it is to be dancing with Mike Babchik. I see. I'm so twisted. I try to, you know, put it the other way. That they're looking at me like the honor, man. Uh, no, I don't do a lot of that. Like I said, I, I, I think that's for the end. You know, I think like in this moment right now, we built up, you know, such a following here at Mad Dog Sports Radio. Got such a great career. Why wouldn't we be talking to the biggest names in the business? Why wouldn't I be hanging out with the hottest girls? That's the way I just approach it. And by the way, if you notice, I'm in a basement right now. There's no hot girls anywhere. There's not yes. one single hot girl. So then you're brought back down to reality real quick. But I think you gotta yes. you gotta stay humble, no doubt about it. And I think the idea to like, you know, think about, wow, look at all this that we've accomplished. That's that's for the end. You know, that's for the end. And one day when I'm being honored by the fouls or or you, you'll I'm sure you'll make me a trophy. Yes. Like yeah. that's why I teach that I didn't get a trophy. And I'll look back and be like, wow, man, what an amazing ride it was. Because I'll wait for that for the ending. And that ending can happen tomorrow. So when you, so give me your, because you know, because I know sometimes like you, you're your, you're, you are yourself. Like you don't change for anybody. And yeah. sometimes when you interact with certain people, you know, it, you can kind of say or do things that kind of rubs on the wrong way. Name me a time, if there is one, where, you said something to a professional athlete uh, or a girlfriend or a model or some sort of celebrity that you've had on the show that made them, that either pissed them off or made them feel uncomfortable. Oh man. Well, you know, like the, the bad one was, uh, you know, the Super Bowl. We were doing some, uh, you know, man on the street in the Super Bowl. And I asked some really lame questions, not even that provocative. Um, but, and, and, and like to Julian Edelman, I think it was, and, and Edelman didn't care either at the time. He was thought it was hilarious, but the, the people around him, the people around him didn't like the questions. And so that's always when you're like, uh oh, because you know, that turned into, we got to put Patrick back on a plane and send him home. And it was only Monday. And I just, <laughs> you know, I just got here. So you never want to, I don't think I really made anybody uncomfortable in person. Because, you know, it's like nothing I say they should really take that seriously anyway. And well, tell, I know the line. I, I like to dance on the line, but I know the line. Uh, tell, them the, uh, tell them the James Harrison story. James Harrison, yeah, no doubt about it. It was like with Harrison, I just went up to him real quick and I was, I threw out a couple questions about like, would you wear, what hat would you wear? Would you wear a Steeler hat? He was a Patriot at the time. Patriots won. Yeah. Again, benign yeah. questions. But then he was like really looking at me like, oh, you're trying to go against me, man. And, um, and I looked right in his eyes, and that's when I, 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 I think I, I grabbed my pants a little. But you got to persevere, man. You got to go through that. And at the end of that, we flipped that to James Harrison. I, hey, man, let's go out for a drink. Which he said no. He turned me down. But yeah, you know, me and Harrison were going toe to toe, and Harrison won. Now you are now the one. At, 
uh, athlete that really like has taken a kin to you and like has like get and kind of gets who you are is Rob Gronkowski. Explain yeah. how the dynamic between because you and him are similar yet different on 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 different on on the same yet different levels. Like you guys are both comfortable in your own skin. You get you know you 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 don't change who you are for anybody. You're authentic. You're original. You know you're quirky, but but you're but you're a better person and you're better to hang out with and talk to because of your quirkiness explain kind of like that that interesting dynamic between you mike babchick from Amerinac, new york and then here it is uh you know top three greatest tight end of all time rob gronkowski from upstate new york and buffalo explain the dynamic between the two of you <laughs> i mean look we're the same guy look look at this this picture right here i don't know if you see that it's on the wall i can't I'm I'm gonna take it down for you, man. All right, let's see. Let's see what we got. Okay. Now that's that's right there. That's me and my boy. You and Gronk. Yep. You and Gronk. That's me and Gronk, man. Look at us. We got the same size arms too. <laughs> we're, one, we're one and the same, man. We're one and the same. By the way, have you noticed this picture right here? That's Steve Torrey and Lauren Torrey. That's their anniversary photo. Okay. That's what. That's when they got married. That's their wedding photo. You come out the foul father. Did a great job of printing that out. And so there it goes. Not in the frame. They came by 24. I'm still waiting to figure out what goes in there. But right here is the wedding photo. I think that, you know, Gronk's is such a fun dude. So, of course, you know, we were going to have some fun together. That was a great dynamic. We had a great ride. Camille Costic, you know, brought us together. Hopefully we can see Gronk again in the future. But that's really what it is. It's like we're both youth, youthful spirits, man. Mm -hmm. I mean, we want to go out there, have fun, have a couple of drinks. And that's why... You know, years ago, he said, oh, that Babcock guy, he's crazy. That was, that was Gronk. Oh, yeah, that's a big yeah, yeah. line. <laughs> that's a big line. Yeah, that's he goes, um, my boy. He goes, uh, yeah, he goes, uh, this guy Babs, this guy's great. He just keeps talking. <laughs> keeps <laughs> yeah, talking. Absolutely. He just keeps talking, that guy. Man, I'll send you that clip. Giant and oh, now, away you go. But that was pretty fun. Now, you've interviewed, how, because how, I know Camille Costing has been a fan favorite on the program. Uh, are there any other supermodels that you've had the pleasure to interview? And oh, who man. was your favorite? Who was your favorite? Wow. I mean, you know, if you think about it, we had models all the time. You know, Evan Cohen was was in the building and it was a great uh, dynamic because you know the the ladies there uh, they knew that I was going to be the one that was weird and wacky and know that I see you have radio. I know you're listening to this right now. We love you, man. Yeah. Kicking ass over there. The ESP at eighty. I see you. Uh, but, yeah, you got these beautiful models. If we had Nina Agdahl came in, which is right now is – think about Nina Agdahl. She's in the middle of this, you know, war of words between Logan Paul. I know you don't keep up on this, right? I know you're an old I man. I don't. I could care. You're not, you know, that's not for you, right? You, If Logan Paul was putting on a fight in your backyard, you draw the blinds. I mean, I, I know you're blinds. like doggy. Yes. No doubt about it. Yes. But the guy he's facing is Dylan Dennis is posting picture after picture of Nina Agdell over and over again with a bunch of different guys. I want our picture up. There's this picture of me, Evan Cohen, and Nina Agdell and Whipped Cream. Where is that, Dylan Dennis? Put that up there for the world to see. So she was great. All these supermodels were so much fun. I, you know, obviously I'm forgetting all the names because I have a horrible memory, but they were all great. Tiffany Emerson's been in many times. There's been some great, great, oh, you know what? Kate Upton's been in. Oh, I'll tell you the best. Well, Charlotte McKinney has been in. She's unbelievable. And then Lindsay Palis was dancing in lingerie. 
That's one of the great days of my life. Did you, uh, because I know that you also interviewed for your famed, infamous man on the street Super Bowl radio row ones. Uh, I know you interviewed, uh, oh, Catherine, Catherine, Catherine Webb. Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, you're eight. You and, eight. Uh, Jimmy Aaron's still in the Bengals, and what's going on with that guy? He's still in the Bengals. Well, it's funny. Know. It's funny. We re-signed him to the practice squad earlier this week because of Bur- because of Burrow's yeah. calf. We re-signed him to the practice squad on Saturday. But yeah, so yeah. hopefully she makes the appearance uh, to the jungle. Boy, wouldn't that be an interesting dynamic, Joe Burrow? <laughs> I know. I know, man. Bring back, bring back Webb. Bring her back. Yes. Absolutely. And did did you have uh, my personal favorite? Did you have Ashley Graham on or no? Yes, we did. She was on with another uh, supermodel from Sports Illustrated. Oh, I, I yo, I thought she was great. Pretty girl, pretty girl. Cool. And I and so you like him thick like me? Tall, exactly. Tall. tall for me. That's what I found about these supermodels. They're tall. I forgot the one that we were at a Guns N' Roses concert with, but uh, she was, was so tall. You just like I'm. I'm not tall enough for that ride. I'm just mm. not. I can't help but think that. I was with um. There was one time in a, in a radio studio in WABC New York. I was working. Uh, I was also working like 1050 ESPN and stuff. So you're sharing. You're going back and forth. And so we had a couple other people in the building. And one day a guy walked in. An ESPN guy walked in the ABC studios and he saw me. There was a Russian girl that worked there, who's got to be like six feet tall. And I was the one that was on the counter of like the board op on the table with my legs wrapped around her and she was standing. So I was the one, it wasn't the other way around. You usually see like the other way around, the taller person. I was the one wrapped around her like a baby panda. Wow. Now, what was, um, <laughs> now, <laughs> this is something else. Yeah. Um, now, you mentioned him uh, earlier in passing, what was what? Explain the dynamic between and the friendship dynamic, and really the brotherhood that you and uh, our guy uh, Evco, aka Evan Cohen, had. Explain how did you guys meet for the first time? First impressions of each other. Give a little bit of a deep dive between uh, the relationship between you and Evan. Yeah, you know how we met was uh, was very interesting. He was coming in. You know, he's like uh, trying out in the mornings and um, or in, in the midday, something like that. And so when he did come in, when I saw him in the hallway, I went right up to him and I said, can you give me a water? He's like, what? I'm like, yeah, man, kitchen's over there. Give me a water. He's like, who do you, what do you, uh, get me? I'm like, yeah, man, you're an intern. Get a water. He's like, I'm not an intern. I'm the host trying out for my, out. Oh, for my show. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. So he was actually trying out for the show, and I told him to get a water. What I see about Evan is, it turns out we were friends our entire lives. And we didn't know that. We didn't know that when we met. But yes, it turns out, like, you know, we're from the same circles in the same area. I was in North Shell. He was in the town over. We were much tougher. We're a tougher town. We just are. You know, we're on the better side of the tracks. Uh, you know, he was the quarterback over there. He wouldn't be the quarterback in North Shell High School. Stuff like that. But... We were, it turns out we were around the same neighborhoods, the same people, the same friends, and a lot of the guys and a lot of the stories that I had, he knew everybody. I think the moment that I was like, oh my God, man, this is going to be really good, and a hell of a run we had, um, was when I was telling a story about my 18th birthday. My 18th birthday, my friends got together, and they got me a lady, a lady of the night, a working woman, and uh, she came over the house, and she was gross. 
She had nothing like the picture or anything else. Nothing like, you know, what she sounded like. And they were like, hey, man, it's his 18th birthday. You got to hook this guy up. And they're like, but you got to get another girl. And I was like, ah, she's fine, man. I think her name was Matilda. Something like hideous. And just the worst name ever. Comes in smoking her cigarettes. Hey, where's the birthday boy? I'm like, oh, my God. This is this is where we're going to go down. And she took me to the backyard. I was in the backyard. I was in his lawn chair. And, um, you know, she went to town. BJ Surf and everything. Everybody was watching. It was crazy. All right. It was my 18th birthday, though. You're doing wild things. You know, you're having some fun. I'm telling this story, and I was describing the deck and everything. And in the commercial break of this show that I told that story, Evan was like, well, what house was that in? And I was like, oh, that was this house with my buddy Nick Borgignon. And then it turned out that was Evan Cohen's childhood home. <laughs> Where, you know, born and raised, and then he moved over to a different town. But that was the house. And they sold it to the Borgignons, who was one of my good friends, French guy, who was my good friend, who threw that party. So... For my 18th birthday, that act happened on possibly Evan Cohen's parents' old lawn furniture. That is unbelievable. That's all you need to know, man. That's all you need to now, know. Yeah, you and you you went to the same high school, you and Ray Rice, and I believe you went to the same high school with Evan's wife here. Because I remember he told me that's right. I had him on. That's right. Summers. That is that's right. When you had Evan on, you went about three hours. I was telling you I had 15 minutes. We're at 45 minutes here. I mean, you better. You got the wrap up coming. We're we're, all, we're coming down the home stretch. Oh, right? we're coming down the home stretch. Oh, we're halfway home. Let's do it. Now, what is it that you specifically currently do miss and will miss about working with Evan? Oh man, you miss so much. I mean, because Evan and I had such a great thing going with uh, Evan and Babs. I mean, the Fowls fell in love with that show for a reason, and so I mean, you know, I wish him, you know obviously all the success in the world and he's going to kick ass because that's what he does. And he's kicking ass right now over that ESPN, ESPN 80 on Sirius XM. But there's so much stuff. It's like, you know, Evan and I, we knew each other because like I said, it was a connection, man. That there was a DNA that was just connected. So I knew where he was going and more importantly, he knew where I was going. And so you can, you know, yin yang it all day long. And obviously when you're playing, your opponent in any type of, you know, let's say ping pong. I'm a big ping pong player. If you know where your guy's going, you're going to be able to have that huge rally. And that's the rally. The rally was us and that stuff in the middle. And, of course, the Fowls embracing loved it. And give all the love to the Fowls. You know, I know they're listening right now, showing up for all the Falcons and supporting, you know, the product. Especially, like, think about the first couple of Falcons. It was just Evan and Babs. And here they are mm-hmm. showing up for Evan and Babs just for us which is an incredible thing. There wasn't like, you know, marquee guests that were coming down the road. Yeah, Lisa Ann showed up, Camille Costic, everybody else. But at the beginning, of course, they're flying. And um, they loved it. And they've been so damn supportive, you know, even through this. And even through this entire thing. So Foundation is crazy strong. And I give them a lot of credit for staying together. But, you know, there's so many things. Jai, we can go all day with some of the stuff. Yeah. But, again, it's about the fact that, hey, man, we know where we're going. We can make anything gold. Well, real quick, explain uh, how the creation of Foul Nation came about for those for those that don't know. How how did you guys? What was the seed that planted this tremendously huge fan base that made a morning that made a morning show on a national Sirius XM? Stay. I mean, it, it it's a really freaking impressive of 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 how 
popular you guys were and how quick in in terms of your fan base that it grew because you guys are doing a morning drive time radio station on the same medium of which Howard, you know, that, that host yeah. Howard Stern and you're right. doing it on the same station, you know, Christopher Mando Russo, the greatest guy that's ever done sports talk radio. You know, he is, he's on that same station and yet you guys in a congested and, uh, and, um, and, uh, competitive time slot yeah. were able to build this exponentially large fan base. Explain the explain the uh, the seeds and the origins of how you guys were able to build such a massive. Oh place. man, and that's a good job, Dad uh, Jai. That's good, your boy with you. Uh, uh, yeah, it was. I think it's just about being real, and you know, being relatable. You know, and I think they could, you know, hear the friendship through the airwaves. And as long as you got that, then everybody wants to be a part of it, man. You just want to hang out with more friends. That's it. That's what it's about. You know, the fouls are. You know, the fans and listeners, you could say the friends and listeners of the program. So, so crazy damn supportive because they were a part of it and they were part of it growing and they knew they got it from the get-go on the on the ground floor and they were going to ride it all the way to the top. But it's about being real, telling those stories. I mean, yeah, sports talk, you can go all day, man. And obviously sports talk is a hell of a lot of fun, right? It's crazy entertaining. But it's about connecting with the audience in another way. And that way is telling stories about who you are. And that's what we did. That's what, you know, we're both going to continue to do. It's about relatability, talking about stuff. Like right now, my mother's upstairs because she stopped by with a noodle kugel. Do you even know what a noodle kugel is? No. You should. No Nobody does. It's it's noodles with cottage cheese and butter and cream cheese. It's a disgusting, disgusting mess. It's a disgusting, disgusting mess. But I can hear her voice up there. And so I'm going to continue to tell stories about my mom, about my, you know, my father, and of course my children. And yeah, maybe even my wife every now and then, just maybe, you know, and that's the stuff. You open up a window, you show how real you are. People want to jump through that window and embrace you with open arms. And I think that's what we did. And that's what we'll continue to do. Now you mentioned your wife. Explain, I'd be remiss if I did not ask you, how in the hell did you meet your wife? And how did it get to the point um, where where you guys have now created a family of three with uh, two sons? <laughs> and yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of people are like, "Hey, man, you always said you hate your wife. Why you got so many kids?" Life is complicated. All right, I don't hate my wife at all. I love the fact that she's a mother to my children. Absolutely, but not everything is this, you know, lifetime movie. We've gotten here. We took a strange path to get here. I think we're in a good spot and everything. But no doubt about it. I mean, me and my. Uh, my wife now, you know, we were we were dating on and off since like 2004, right? Up until, you know, this, the birth of my son. And when I say on and off, I mean, she was off me and she was on someone else. And so there was a lot of that going on, a lot of that. And of course, you guys know the big story from Denny's, you know, she told me we sat at the table. I was eating spaghetti and I looked at her. I'm like, you know, we got it. We got to hash this stuff out. We got too much bad in the past. If we're going to work, I want to know everything. Give me everything. And then she told me way too much. You know what? You don't want to know everything. You don't want to know about a guy named Chris the Carpenter in the lake. You don't want to know about a guy named Tony who took you out after a night out to Denny's, ordered your fries, and you, Tony, and BJ Suroff in the bathroom. You don't want to know everything. That was a horrible mistake. Whoever gave me that advice, no thank you. So you don't want to know. I'd rather not know. And so I told her all my stuff, too. I mean, I was bad, too. So... We didn't really believe in uh, loyalty to one another 
while you're dating. I mean, it's boyfriend, girlfriend. Who cares if you cheat a little bit? But still, it could get messy. So actually, we were went on a trip to San Francisco. We got into such a horrible fight on the plane there, which, you know, accusations left and right, that on the first night, we went our separate ways. Maybe, maybe it was the second night. I want to, I want to be factually correct. We went, <laughs> <laughs> who knows, man? We went our separate We both went out separately. Okay, I think it was the second night. We went out separately. She went someplace. I went someplace. On a trip together. That's crazy, man. That's dysfunction. On the way home, I was like, it's over. We're done. I'm through with you. And I actually went back to the apartment that we were sharing in New Rochelle, New York. And uh, I took my stuff and I went back to my parents' house. And then two weeks later, she was showing up at my job, uh, a little station, WVOX, 1460 AM, with the great Fox Sports program. You know about it, Tuesday nights. It was a little show that could. And she was showing up. And we were making it a bitch. She kept showing up. And she kept showing up. And finally, I started talking to her again. And then she told me, she's pregnant. And that changed everything, my man. And then I, I said, all right, I'm coming back home. I'm going to take care of my baby mama. But when she was, she said she was pregnant, tears were coming out of her eyes. Not from joy. From just sheer disgust. Then now she has to share her life with me. Because I think we were both kind of feeling that it was over. And then mm-hmm. our Joey brought us back together. And that, that led to... Not only Joey, but two more kids along the way. Because you're going to have one, you have to have a second. And then after a two-year sexless streak, after my daughter was born, I was ready to leave. Then she said, all right, I'm going to change things. We got better. And then here comes Billy Babs. (laughs) Which was, I think, Billy Babs was on purpose. You know, the rest of it was like, I I was just so, I just wanted my wife so bad, she kind of trapped me into the second kid. First kid, obviously, clear mistake. Um, I tell them that I say that with actual love in my heart. I was a mistake too. My parents only wanted one kid. They had they had Paul. They did not expect me. I was a happy mistake. Same thing with Joe. And then we had little Billy Bab. So right now I got a 12-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 3-year-old. What the hell am I doing with my life? I'm going to be 60 taking this kid to college. What was I thinking? Maybe 57. I don't know. You do the math. Yeah. Well, you'll be well. What you'll be? You'll be a poor man's Chris Russo, still going to high school graduations in your sixties. So yeah. And the key word there is the key word there is poor. (laughs) Dogs got the cash. cash. I'm all alone here, and I'm just trying to make ends meet. Absolutely. And didn't you hold because you're because Billy, if I remember correctly, he was born in late January of 2020, if I'm not mistaken. That's, that's right. He, yeah, I think it was 2020. Yeah, and, he had and you, yeah, and didn't you leave him, leave him and your wife because you had to go uh, do the uh, 49ers and the Chiefs Super Bowl down in Miami that week? You got to put work first, or you have to put Miami first. More, it's Miami. There was no way I was going to miss a week South Beach. So, yes, my baby was born. The next day, I got on a flight. That's how it happened. I mean, interesting enough, I think it was when Kobe Bryant, you know, sadly, you know, passed away. Yeah, I think it was, it was day. Yeah, it was that. It was the it was day, that week, day yeah. of day. Yeah, it was day after that weekend. Then we land. Then COVID came, and the world came to an end. So maybe that was all Billy Babs. Who the hell knows? All I know is Billy was born. I left for Miami a day later. I'm not saying every father should do that in the blueprint. I also, not only that. My wife was scheduled for you know to be induced in natural birth. So if it didn't come out, she was scheduled to be induced the week of the Super Bowl. And I actually asked the doctor. I said, Doc, it's Miami. 
is there any way we can push it out just a tad early, just so I can get out there? You know, I want to be safe and everything, but is that possible? And Doc's like, you know what? We actually could do that. We could get a, we can get the baby out a week earlier than expected. No problem. And they let me go to Miami. What kind of doctor is that? What kind of doctor? Then, I, I, as I walked out, I said, that's awesome. I'm going to Miami. But I was like, should I change doctors? Who the hell yes. says, yeah, no problem. We change the week. Super Bowl. I didn't realize it was that easy. But yeah, I uh, left for Miami. Now, have, now have you actually ever, because I know you've been to a bunch, you know, Super Bowl weeks, Minnesota, Atlanta, Miami. Oh, yeah. Uh, San Francisco. I know uh, Houston. I know you've been to. A, first of all, have you been back to Radio Row since that Super Bowl or no? No, no, no. We went. We had a great event. Um, it was Evan Babs in, in California. We did California? That was yeah. an awesome event. And then that was the last event that I've I've gone to because COVID hit. And then that was that was really the shutdown of the world. We haven't been out since. The Super Bowls have been on the West Coast. And so yeah, they have. But I got because you had the COVID one, because you had the COVID yeah. one in Tampa that you wanted to go to desperately. Nah, yeah, uh, man, I got the trophy it's the strip right club here. capital of God. the world. Yeah, it's the strip club. Strip capital club capital of the world. world. I was robbed of that. And then twenty, and then the following one was over in Los Angeles, and it really doesn't make much sense to send a morning show to do a show at three a.m. L.A. time. And then the following one was in, and then the following one was in Arizona. Arizona. Which I think during the winter time is has the three hour time difference as well. Two hours. and I then the one this year. And then this year they're not going. Are they letting you go to Vegas this year? Hey man, you think I'm not going to Vegas? Is that what you're saying to me? I will pay my. No, I don't want to say that. I will consider. No, they will pay for me to get out there on a flight, and I will sleep in Steve Torrey's bed if I have to. I will sleep right on the bed, and we'll put a pillow in the middle. And that'll be the buffer. Our, you know, our genitals. There'll be a buffer there. We'll put a pillow oh. right there. I'm going to Vegas, man. I'm You're going. going to Vegas. Vegas. that way. Okay. I'm going to Vegas, buddy. Now, have you have you ever been to? Because my original question was, I know you've been to a bunch of Super Bowl weeks. Have you actually been to the game before in your life? Have you ever actually been to the actual Super Bowl, the game itself? No. No, I, uh, I've i never gone to the game. They always kicked me out before the game. They thought that it would be an issue with me in the locker room with a microphone during the game. So they made sure to get me out of there. You know, I stayed, you know, Saturdays and stuff. I've never been to a Super Bowl. So all those years and all these Super Bowls that I've gone to, Radio Row, never actually went to the actual game. Always been home for the game. That's disappointing. Maybe this year. Yeah, it is. Maybe this year we change that, man. Yeah. I know everybody goes. I love that people go to a Super Bowl and they go, oh, it sucks. It's overrated. It's so corporate. Everybody's wearing a suit. The crowd's not really into it. You know, I'd like to experience that for myself. Then I'll start complaining like the rest of them. But I don't <laughs> like when people are telling me how bad it is. Let me go first, and then we'll see. Well, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm with you. So hopefully if the Bengals make it this year, hopefully I can uh, 1-800-MAD-6-6. Get me to give me the yeah, Vegas. Yeah. You're in trouble, for, though, man. For you know, you, for you, a Bengals Super Bowl, me and you will be in Vegas. Hey, you're in trouble though, because like, how is Burrow gonna get healthy? This guy's gonna be banged up all year long. He's gonna be playing banged up all. Oh, this is my it's, boy. Come here, Billy. This Perfect, is gonna be man. a it's been an hour. We can wrap. Yeah, we can wrap. You're right, Bill. We can wrap. It, 
Oh. I tell you, there's going to be a lot. There's going to be a lot of 1916 games uh, for the Orioles. Yeah. Uh, sorry, the Orioles for the Bengals. Speaking of Burrow, your guy Aaron Rodgers, 75 uh. seconds, four plays into the season, 9/11. He's carrying the American flag, sold out crowd, the throwback, 1980. Everything with Monday Night Football. Everything was perfect. For the Jets, they start, you know, this is the new season, started off on the right foot. Now, it had a storybook ending, but the beginning was from hell. 75 seconds, and down goes Aaron Rodgers. What was your uh, – you were you you were in the building, were you not? Yeah, I was in the building. My son was in the building. My son had tears in his eyes. Like any good father, if your kid's crying, you film it. You film it. And I filmed <laughs> it, and terrible. I put it online. That's what any good father should do. And – it was just so, it was actually, like, this has been the most I've been wrapped up in the Jets, and sports for that matter, in a long time. You know, you think about it. You know, yeah, 2009, you know, Yankees win. That was cool and all. But I, I, but we won a lot. We won a lot. We did. We won a lot. I was happy for A-Rod. The Jets going to AFC Championship games for a couple of years, I was in it, but I never really believed. I always thought we would lose, you know, even though I love Rex Ryan. Mark, I still, Mark Sanders is going to make a mistake. I just assume going into those games. This, the last couple months before the season started, we got Rodgers. I actually believed, like an idiot, that things would go well and we would actually make a run. Now, I try to temper expectations. I never said Super Bowl or bust. I said AFC Championship game or bust because they are the Jets. So I figured, all right, they go to the AFC Championship game and then they'll win it the following year. But I really was sucked in, man. And I was actually hype, like a sports fan, like little Mikey Babchick was when he was 16 years old. And I was buying it and believing it. And I will never, ever, I promise you this, have hope for this team again. I don't care what happens now moving forward. I don't care if they get the pet. They could get Patrick Mahomes tomorrow. And I will assume the absolute worst. Aaron Rodgers comes out of that tunnel. Seems like you cannot believe louder than I've ever heard the place. More enthusiasm than ever. The highest of highs to the lowest of lows. 75 seconds in, it's over. And I turned to everybody then. I said, Aaron Rodgers is done. He's done for the season. He's done for his career. I just watched his entire Jets playing career. We are through. These delusional Jets fans the next week. Oh, he beat the Bills, so maybe we got to shout out to Wilson. No, we don't. We'll be lucky to win five or six games. We're done, John. And never again will I have hope. Never. Never. Man, Zach Wilson. He why why is he still employed by the Jets? I don't understand. You you What else are you gonna draft? do? What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? You want to trade assets for Kirk Cousins, who's not going to win you a Super Bowl no, either? No, 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 no. What are you going to do? I'm not saying that. I'm saying, why didn't this past offseason, in the same offseason that you moved heaven and earth to get in Rodgers, why didn't you say, oh, by the way, Zach, get the hell out of here? Like, I understand. Uh -huh. You brought in Zach Wilson's replacement, and you still kept Zach Wilson. It, it was, you know, I put, I put it to a where you can get it, right? It's, it's like, like a refrigerator. The refrigerator that you have in your house is a piece of garbage. It doesn't keep your full cold, leakage everywhere, light bulb doesn't work. You got to use your flashlight on your phone to look and see the refrigerator when you're going to go get a, a, a soda or, a, uh, or an apple or something. You go out there and you take money from your, uh, from your savings account or from your child's college fund and say, you know what, damn it, I've had enough. I want top of the line best refrigerator that's right that's out there on the market 
You buy yeah. that refrigerator. You get it. You install it. You're excited. A whole nine yards. Yet at the same time, you still have the the same uh, piece of shit refrigerator still taking up space in your kitchen. If you're gonna go get get the improvement, you gotta throw out the garbage that that well, replacing. And the Jets didn't do that. I would love for them to bring it back up, but I didn't say that in the offseason. You know what I said? I'm like, oh, maybe Zach will learn something. But I never thought Zach would play. But, you know, they were kind of having fun, hard knocks. Here's what I take from that, though. You keep apples in the fridge. So I keep my apples out of the fridge. I don't like the cold apples. I keep, I like, I, I keep them in the fridge, yeah. You keep them in the fridge. That's, yeah, yeah. My, you know, there's plenty of people that do. Because sometimes when I eat it, you know, and then the juice comes out, it's like having a cup of orange orange juice. It's like having a cup of apples. <laughs> apple, apple juice. juice. Yes, or put that true. up in your poll question. Where do people keep their I apples? Now, Jai, this is this is going to be the last question, right? I mean, this is it, yes, man. It is. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, here we go, man. We'll make it count. Let's go, baby. Last one. Ah. Is The Sopranos the greatest television show of all time? Wow. Good one. I think The Sopranos is the greatest TV show of all time. There are ones that are very close. All right, Breaking Bad. I watch Sopranos in real time, man. You don't even realize. We would sit there, you watch an episode, then got to wait a week. You know how crazy that is right now? All I do is watch Binge. You know, you didn't have that. You'd have to sit there, you watch The Sopranos live, everybody would talk about The Sopranos on Monday, you'd wait a week, you'd watch The Sopranos again. That was the best show where we'd actually get together and watch TV. I, I don't have another show like that where me and the boys would sit around and we would watch The Sopranos on a Sunday night. I'd be working at Pizza Hut. I brought in Pizza Hut for everybody or Wings or whatever else you got to do. But towards the end of college that's or maybe middle college, that's exactly what we're doing. We're sitting around. The only time we did that, Monday Night Trump in the, in the wars. Other than that, that was it. I cannot remember another TV show that was that captivating that everybody was watching it. Look, The Wire's awesome. I love The Wire. I can do the whistle all day. Mm -hmm. Maybe I can. The Wire was great. Breaking, <laughs> Bad, Breaking Bad is all time, right? So good. Oz. I loved Oz on HBO, except for the amount of male penises that they would show at a regular basis. Besides that, it was such a great show. And there have been some other ones along the way. Nothing touches The Sopranos. Because it was not only drama with the mob and everything else and violent, it was so mm -hmm. funny. Like, you could mm -hmm. say, you could make the argument that The Sopranos was a comedy. You could. And it could be yeah, one of the best comedies of all time. Yeah. And that's why it's in that show be, of all because time. Of, because of the dark humor and and, yeah. the, uh, and they kind of had like that 1970s sitcom sort of like wisecracks and shit talking yeah. amongst each other. Like oh, it, it, man. Like that, it, it, absolutely. Well, think about the best episode. The best episode to me was the one where they were stuck in the snow. Pine Barrens. And yeah. they're sucking on ketchup packets. Think about how many lines are in that. But, like, when I think of The Sopranos, I think about, like, Tony Soprano turning to Bobby Bacala and going, have you ever heard of a salad? Oh, that was hilarious. Oh, that's all, that's all time. Man. He goes, <laughs> he goes uh, I think it's time you should seriously start to consider <laughs> salads. Yeah, like, yeah. Of course he's... I screw up every line. It's my favorite line, I don't know. But that's it. And the other one that I love, which, I, you know, people like to throw at me all the time is, when Uncle Junior turned to Tony, he's like, hey, just didn't have the makings of a varsity athlete. varsity athlete. <laughs> <laughs> man. Oh, man. The Sopranos is the best. Now, we had a – this absolutely is the last one. All right. Because we had this text discussion, and I put it out on um, 
on Thursday night because I was watching the Thursday night game and Amazon Prime put together a graphic with the San Francisco 49ers. You know, you know, it, it was like a full house theme. And I tweeted yeah. out, full house is a C-plus show, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air clears. D- this two-part question. One, do you agree with that sentiment? And second, I've also been in an argument with a lot of fouls who the hottest cast member on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was. Me wow. personally, me personally, the hottest woman that was on that show seasons one through six or seven, how many seasons it was, was Vanessa Williams when she played that the uh, when she played the pregnant uh, sports writer that yeah. uh, had the baby in the parking lot in the farm, which one is which, by the way, would never happen in a thousand million, would never happen in a thousand million years, <laughs> by the way. But two part question Am I off on my full house take? And B, who do you agree with my uh, sentiment of who the most attractive uh, cast member of Fresh Prince? Uh, so you you so so you were saying that Fresh Prince is clear and day better than Full House. Is that what you yes. were saying? That, yes, that's the, that's the first part. Yeah. That is facts. It's facts. That's it, man. Full House was good. Fresh Prince was better. It just was better. It was a funnier show, and even the storylines were better. You know my take on Fresh Prince. Uncle Phil, greatest uncle in the world. Not a great dad. Not a great dad. Didn't, didn't really focus enough attention on, on Carlton, and that's why Carlton had to dance and act out. It was all about Will. 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 Even when they had their own little drama, it was all about Will. And so, great uncle, bad dad, but the show was so much better. That show is better than Full House. And I watched Full House, too, like everybody else. Now, the hottest chick on Fresh Prince was Nia Long. Wasn't she the girlfriend for a while? She was. She was, but I... No. Nia Long, she had Nia the Long. short hair. Nia Long's oh. a little overrated, got to be fair. Not not that Nia Long. Yes. Maybe. Yes. Go little, look at that Nia Long now. The hottest I have. Man. I've seen I, I I started it in February, and I finished it in April, I think. No, no, no. no. Correct that. I started it in, in January. I finished it in about March or April. Sometime around March Madness and the beginning of the baseball season is when I yeah. finished it. Yeah, I saw it. A little overrated. Yep. I, it's like, growing up, I was a teenager, I think, watching Fresh Prince. So, like, Ashley Banks was the best. Hillary was kind of maybe too old. And then Ashley, when she started obviously getting closer to, you know, age, she was smoking. She was so hot. Ashley Banks was hotter than Hillary. Now, again, you know, you, it depends on when you're looking at it. I'm not talking about when she was really young. I'm just saying when you're growing up, it's like Boy Meets World. I was watching Boy Meets World, I think, as a teenager, and I loved the panga. She right. was so, yeah, so, Ashley, Ashley. Now, the moms, who was the hotter mom? The first mom or the second mom? The first one. <laughs> yeah, me too. I like the, the first one was a better actress, too. The second yeah, one was absolutely. terrible. She well, was terrible. Uh, she, she, a waste, a, a complete waste. waste. Me per, now, me, per, me myself, personally, I, I, the regular cast member, Hillary, does it for me. Yeah, okay. All right. yeah. Like, like. Yeah, no, yeah, no doubt. She like she I don't know it, the 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 smile the hair it was like you know the way how she, how proper and how sophisticated you know she dressed like that like that in today's society that that is a lost art in in today's society knowing how to dress good and look good while you know not. While not, you know, crossing crossing that line, and she kind of <laughs> hey had, man, less is she, more, guy. Less is more. That we close. Less is more. 
All right. Now she wore less. You can wear it, you know, over the top. Less is more. Short skirts, always in. She would wear them. So not bad. Yeah, she 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 did it. She did it for me. Nia Long overrated, but the the finest woman that I saw in that program was uh, Vanessa Williams, no doubt. No doubt. All right. Uh, uh, Robin Givens also was a was a close number was a close number two as well. Ah. Yo, that's that's fair enough. But right now, you know what? You got to throw me off this podcast. DJ Jazzy Jeff Style. Pick me up. Toss me. Which I... That's happened. I was in Fordham at a bar, you know, Muggsy. And the bouncer's was named... uh, I think it was Suit or something. And he picked me up and he tossed me just like DJ Jazzy Jeff. I've been tossed that way. That's a good... That's a fun fact. That's a great story to end on. Absolutely. You said it all, Michael. (laughs) Thanks yo, yo, you're the best. Hey, Jai, by the way, proud of you like crazy, man. You keep going at it. This thing's great. You're huge. This podcast is awesome. Nothing but the best. I love you like a son, Steve. Like a son. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. We will be back with the Amatelica TIS podcast in just a moment. Special thanks to Michael Babchick stopping by to have a conversation. Uh, boy, what a gem that guy! I mean, I literally, you, you know how like in life, you know, you, you, you there's people that are either in media, in show business, you know, that you that if you're ever fortunate enough to have a conversation with them, you could talk to them and with them for hours and hours and hours. And I, Michael, is one of those guys, man. I mean, just just an absolutely fascinating, entertaining, yet genuine individual, man. I love uh, chopping it up with uh, Mike. First time on the show, and hopefully it's not his last. He did a sensational job. Special thanks to him for uh, having a conversation. He did an excellent job. Uh, As we close out the show, before I get to the uh, week four uh, picks against the spread, uh, we have some NBA news uh, here as we close out the month of September with the season being less than a month away from tipping off, believe it or not. Uh, the Portland Trail Blazers traded guard uh, Damian Lillard uh, to the Milwaukee Bucks, a part of a, a three-team deal that was announced on Wednesday. The Trail Blazers got Drew Holiday, center DeAndre Ayton, uh, Tumani uh, Kamara, uh, the Bucks. 2029 unprotected first round draft pick and an unprotected Milwaukee uh, and an unprotected Milwaukee uh, swap rights in 2028 and 2030. Uh, the Suns get uh, Yusef Nurkic, Grayson Allen, Nasir Little, and uh, Keon Johnson a part of the uh, deal as well. Uh, as uh, and the Milwaukee Bucks get themselves. Uh, a nice, uh, a nice uh, one guard, a nice one guard in uh, Dame time to be the sidekick for uh, to be the sidekick sidekick for Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, as the uh, as the Milwaukee Bucks embark on a 2023-2024 campaign in the aftermath of what was just a pathetic, embarrassing, and disgraceful, disgraceful. 2023 NBA playoffs form back in the month of April, losing in the first round and losing to the first round in five games to Jimmy Butler, who just had a series of a lifetime in the against the Milwaukee and his uh, Miami Heat squad uh, in the opening round of the NBA playoffs this past spring. 
uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo. You heard rumblings throughout the entire offseason that uh, that he wasn't a surefire shoe-in guarantee to hang around and be a Milwaukee Buck for life and be a Milwaukee Buck for the foreseeable future. He made it known to the franchise, hey, you if you guys want me here, you better um you better do what you better move heaven and earth and do what you can to make sure that I have some uh, added help. Yes, I won championship in 2021, but I won another one. And the roster that I had to uh and the roster that I had to work with uh, to uh, last season, the back half of last season was substandard, and uh, and it's not going to be good enough. It's not going to be good enough uh, heading into. It's not going to be good enough heading into the uh, this season in twenty three, twenty four, and a foreseeable future. You know, we got to we got to find a way to improve this team because if we don't, we're not going to win. And if we don't have an opportunity to win, then I want no parts of being. I have no parts of the uh, to wanting to be. Uh, a Milwaukee Buck, you know, for the foreseeable for the foreseeable future. I'll either ask for a trade, free agency, th- whatever it takes. I'll make sure that I'm in another uniform. Unless you guys uh, figure figure out what the hell's going on around here, and uh, and and give me some help. And that's exactly what they did. Went out there. They uh, they get they got rid of the dead weight. Brought in Dame Time, who was a good soldier and a hell of a player. Uh, for the Portland Show Blazers and years and years throughout ring chasing culture and the super team culture, you know, the, the, of course the, the building of the big three in, uh, in, uh, in Brooklyn, KD going from OKC to Golden State and then from Golden State to, uh, to Brooklyn. He did a sensational job, you know, when, when, the NBA media and 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 the toxicity of NBA media and toxicity of NBA Twitter, you know, you know, to hell with loyalty, to hell with uh, with uh, with uh, you know, with sticking it out and suffering through the the lean years and the years that that build up uh, that build character, that build uh, some some uh, some mental toughness, you know, the the, the, the ignoring the process. So to speak to hell with that. You need to be on a super team. You need to hook your wagon to to uh, to the next big, great big superstar. Hook your wagon to them, and you know coast through the regular season, and then come playoff time, you either you become a part of a dynamic duo or become or become part of a big three, and you win your championship, uh, and you win your championship that way. And for years and years and years, to his credit, Damian Lillard said. That's not what I'm about. That's not what I stand for. That's not why I play. I, you know, it's not always about ring chase. That's not always about hooking your wagon to, uh, you know, to some great big player and basically taking a shortcut, you know, to winning a championship. I like and I want to go through the process and enjoy the journey and and, and going through the, the muck and mire of the of the tough uh, you know, heartbreaking playoff defeats and the long off seasons and the tedious regular. He he thrived in that. He wanted to go through that, and it was only but so many times where he went through it and he went through it. And then he's looking at himself and he's looking at his career and he's like, "I'm not getting any younger. I've been in the I've been in the league a long time. I've never I've." appeared in one conference finals ever in my life. I've never appeared in NBA finals, let alone win one. 
I, the reason why I play is to win championships and for legacy. I've made my money. I got. I it's. I if I don't win a championship soon, I'm gonna be looking like Chris Paul. You know, on the wrong side of thirty five, on the back end of thirty five. You know, damn near almost approaching forty, and I'd have no ring. So he didn't want that, and he, you know, quietly, you know, without kicking and screaming, a la James Harden, said a la Kyrie Irving, and said, I, you know, I, you know, I, I want to request a trade. You know, I've enjoyed my time here. I love the fan base. Organization's been good to me, this, that, and the third, but it's time for a change of scenery. He gave that request known to, to the Trailblazers. Trailblazers obliged so there was no no bad blood or no public fighting amongst the two parties. Trailblazers obliged, try to find a trade partner for him. For the longest time, we thought that it was going to be the Miami Heat was going to be the place that he was going to end up with to give uh, Jimmy, to provide provide some added help for Jimmy Butler, who desperately needed it throughout the uh, NBA Finals back in June, as we saw, who could not measure up to the elite level of play uh, of uh, that of Nikola Jokic and uh, Jamal Murray, who played absolutely out of their minds. You know, throughout the entire NBA uh, playoffs back in the springtime, and Jokic, who just took over the finals uh, back in that uh, sh- back in that series in June, we thought it was going. Thought Pat Riley was going to work his magic to bring Dame time over. It turns out the uh, Bucks had the better deal on the table, which you also factor in that they probably and the fact that they were were also motivated by the fact that not only were they in the in the in the mindset of improving their roster from last season to this season to put themselves in a better uh, opportunity for them to win a title they also had to play the uh, you know play the uh, the lobbying game and make sure that they could put forth and put together a uh, a formidable roster that not only would be uh, suitable to win championships uh, you know, for this season and beyond, but also be a roster, uh, uh, strong enough to to uh have uh Giannis Antetokounmpo contempt and pleased, so he would uh so he was so he uh so he would be uh in a spot where he can stay and he would want to stay a Milwaukee Buck uh for the foreseeable future uh for seasons down the road. But Damian Lillard is a Milwaukee Buck. Certainly uh, improves uh, their chances for uh, for uh, winning a championship and being the early favorite out of the Eastern Conference to begin the new basketball season. Uh, as we shall see, where the entire NBA season unfolds as the season begins uh, less than a month from where we are right now. Uh, but you obviously you have the Bucks, the Bucks. The Miami Heat in Boston are your one, two, three atop of the Eastern Conference heading into uh, this upcoming heading into this upcoming season. Not even a debate. Uh, the Bucks, Miami, and Boston, uno dos tres, uh, to, uh, your uh, early preseason favorites to make it out of the Eastern Conference in the NBA uh, as we embark on training camp and yet a not the seventy seventh uh, season of the National Basketball Association. But it is that time. The hundred we as we talked from the NBA to the NFL in their hundred and fourth season, I do I do believe, of NFL football and week four of the two thousand and twenty-three uh NFL season. It's about that time. Week four picks in the National Football League and the league where they play. For pay. 
game number one between the Atlanta Falcons and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Game number one of that asinine NFL International Series. Game will be played in London at 9.30 a.m. on ESPN Plus, uh, if, you, uh, if you care. Falcons last time out coming off of a... Uh, coming off of their uh, defeat at the hands of the Detroit Lions on Sunday on the road by the final score of 20-6. to six. Uh, Meanwhile, the Jacksonville Jaguars have gotten off to a sluggish start to begin the year. Uh, you know, you, you would thought, and anybody would sense thought and said going into the season that they by far were the best team in the AFC South and winning the division would be a complete runaway for them or at least one would aspire that it would be a, a decent runaway for them. And that's not been the case. They're 1-2 on the year. They are a loss last time out at the hands of the Houston Texans. They lost back-to-back home games, losing by uh, Houston by 20 points. 37-17 was the final score. Uh, you have uh, Cordell Patterson, who is questionable uh, with an injury for Atlanta. Uh, and for Jacksonville, they have Zay Jones and Antonio Johnson, who are both out for the games. Ma Agnew uh, is listed questionable as well. The Jacksonville Jaguars are favored by field goal. Giving the Jaguars to jump back on track uh, this week with the final score of 27 to 24. Game number two. Uh, between the Miami Dolphins and the Buffalo Bills. The Bills are two and a half point favorites coming off of their tremendous victory over the uh, Washington Commanders last week. Bill, or the, excuse me, the Dolphins coming off of the aforementioned uh, beatdown against the Denver Broncos at home. Dolphins on the road again, and they will do so without Jalen Phillips, their linebacker, who was out for this game. Uh, River Craycraft placed on IR. Uh, Savon Ahmed listed as questionable as long as Deshaun Elliott, their safety. Jordan Poyer was, it was announced earlier this week. The uh, Buffalo Bills starting safety. He is listed as out heading into this game on Sunday for, uh, for Buffalo. Bills two and a half point favorites. Dolphins need this game to uh, stay atop the uh, AFC East. If the Bills win this game, uh, they do jump into first place um, atop the AFC East. So, but Miami needs this game uh, in the worst way. Hard to believe that you're saying that in week four, but uh, this is a pivotal, pivotal divisional matchup for both parties and their chances for them to uh, walk away, possibly with the AL East division title at season's end. Buffalo two and a half point favorites. Give me the Buffalo Bills to win this game uh, by the final score of uh, 31 2-30. Denver Broncos and the Chicago Bears in a matchup that nobody wants to watch that should be played at 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, earlier, this, this game should have been played at 2 o'clock this morning on Friday. Nobody wants to watch such garbage. The battle of the hapless 0-3s of the orange and blue. Broncos got the 70-piece hung on them last week. Meanwhile, the Chicago Bears can't get out of their own way. Uh, they uh, took the L last time out at the hands of the at the hands of the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. I don't know why I'm drawing a blank. They lost the Kansas City Chiefs last time out. 41-10 was the final score uh, in that game. Battle of the 0-3s. Bears return home for their second home game of the season. 
Broncos, man, if not now, when this game, in my opinion, means more for Denver than it does for Chicago. We know Chicago's in free fall. The uh, organization is, is a mess from the top on down. Uh, you know, the coaching staff is a complete mess. Justin Fields is throwing the coaching staff underneath the bus everywhere you look. Um, it's just complete disarray and confusion uh, everywhere you turn within the Chicago Bear organization. The Denver Broncos, man, they are in a situation where they have no choice but to be a good football team this year with the amount of money that is invested in draft capital that has been uh, thrown by the board uh, as property of other football teams. They have no choice but to succeed this football season. And if they fall to 0-4, man, it is going to be yet another long lost season in Denver, Colorado. Broncos three and a half point favorites. Give me the Denver Broncos. Get off the schneid. You win this game by the final score of 24 to 10. The Cleveland Browns play host of the effort, uh, play host of division rival Baltimore Ravens. Ravens, I read you their their uh, injury report earlier this week, uh, as they have a lot of guys out uh, heading into this game. Oway, Odell Beckham Jr., Rashad Bateman, Justice Hill listed as questionable. Ronnie Stanley listed as doubtful. Deshaun Watson was in the injury report earlier this week. He was limited in practice this week with a shoulder injury. If he, for whatever reason, is unable to go come Sunday. You know, even it, the Ravens with all those injuries, if you can't find a way to beat Cleveland on the road, you know, they have some serious, serious problems. Cleveland's a favored by a point and a half. Give me the Ravens to bounce back and win this game. And a defensive slugfest by the final score of 17 to 16. The Pittsburgh Steelers go on the road to play the Houston Texans. Texans got their first win of the season. D'Amico Ryan's first win as an NFL head coach at, uh, against Jacksonville in Duval last week. Meanwhile, Pittsburgh coming off of a, a gritty and ugly victory on the road last Sunday night in Vegas against the uh, Vegas Raiders. They're 2-1 and one on the season. Uh, the Houston Texans are 1-2 and two on the year. Uh, you have uh, James Daniels, the Steelers guard, who is out with the injury. And their punter, Presley Harvin, is also listed as out, too. So that's something to keep in mind heading into this game. Josh Jones, Denzel Perriman, Lermy Tunsil, and Tavare Thomas are all listed as out for the Texans going up on Sunday. Michael Dieter, the center, listed as questionable as of now. The uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, two and a half point favorites. Give me the season and put the three on the season. A final score of... 24-2-20. The Minnesota Vikings go to Carolina to take on the Cardinals. Adam Thielen in a rematch against his former squad. The battle of the two 0-3s on the, on the uh, NFC side. Vikings can't get out of their own way. Lost uh, on a soul-crushing uh, interception off the hands of TJ Hawkinson to put the game on ice on a Sunday afternoon at home as they return to the road to play Carolina, who was 0-3 on the year, uh, who was 0-3 on the year themselves. The Carolina Panthers, their last time out, uh, licking their wounds uh, on a 10-point defeat at the hands of the Seattle Seahawks, 37-27 uh, last week. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings have Louis Sian, their center, who is out. Jaron Hall, who's their backup quarterback, 
De Marcus Davenport and their center, Garrett Bradbury, all listed as questionable. Miles Sanders, Jonathan Mingo, listed, listed as questionable. Along with Frankie Louvenu, uh, he's listed as questionable as well. Xavier Woods is also listed as out. Uh, you take a look at uh, in, in terms of Bryce Young's status for the game coming up on a Sunday afternoon. He is trying to find the tweet from Rap Sheet here. Give me a second. Uh, you have Anthony Richardson. He will start. Bryce Young, full participant in practice with his ankle injury. He is off the injury report. Good to go. Sanders, of course, going. This is questionable. Minnesota, four and a half point favorites. Give me the Vikings to get off the deck and get their first win of the season. Got a final score of 27 to 24. And the Indianapolis Colts taking on the uh, and hosting the Los Angeles Rams. Rams losing last time out on Monday night. The hands of the Cincinnati Bengals. Indianapolis Colts improved the two and one on the season with an impressive gutty victory in overtime against the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, they have Ryan Kelly and Bernard Raymond uh, both out for uh, Indianapolis. DeForest Buckner and Sam Ellinger are both listed as questionable for Indianapolis. I told you that uh, Anthony Richardson will start for Indianapolis this week. Uh, Alaric Jackson, Ben Skoranek, Tyler Higby, all listed as questionable heading into Sunday's game. John Johnson, the third, their safety listed as questionable uh, as well on the L.A. Rams side. Rams defense going to have to do a, a better job of getting after the quarterback uh, and making life hell for Richardson. We shall see if they're able to up the challenge. The Indianapolis Post uh, defensive front, which did an impressive job of sacking Lamar Jackson last week. I believe they, they notched up about five sacks against Lamar last week. Uh, the Rams uh, offensive line, which had their hands full with Trey Hendrickson and company in the Bengals uh, front four and front seven uh, on Monday night, surrendering six sacks on Monday night. They had their hands cut out for them. Should be a low-scoring affair on both accounts. Uh, it's an even uh, line. Nobody's favorite. It's a toss-em, pick-em game between the Rams and the Colts coming up on Sunday. Give me the L.A. Rams to win this game in the defensive slugfest by the final score of 13-10. Tampa Bay Buccaneers and New Orleans Saints battle of the two and one teams in the NFC South. Saints are 3-0, excuse me, favored by three points in this game. Saints coming off of a, a fourth quarter collapse in Lambeau at the hands of the Green Bay Packers. Tampa Bay coming off of a Monday night defeat at the hands of the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, earlier this week. You take a look at the injury report for both of these teams. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have, have uh, Jamal Dean, uh, Derek Pitts, among others, out for them. Carlton Davis listed as questionable. Derek Carr listed as questionable with the shoulder, with the shoulder injury he suffered uh, in, during the game last week against the Packers on Sunday. Foster Monroe also listed, it, listed as questionable for the Saints. Saints favored by three points. You need Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Big Matthews has had a solid season at the beginning of the year, but a little bit of a rough pass against the Big Bat Eagles last week, but I expect them to bounce back. Give me the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to bounce back and win this game by the final score of 24-21. And the Philadelphia Eagles play host, the aforementioned Philadelphia Eagles play host to the excuse me, the aforementioned Eagles play host to the Washington Commanders. God, I'm all over the place. 
the Philadelphia, Philadelphia Eagles 3-0 coming off their victory against the aforementioned Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Monday Night Football. They return home to play host to the division rival Washington coming off of a blowout loss at the hands of Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. The Eagles are nine-point favorites in the game. Uh, Washington has Percy Butler, their, their uh, safety Questionable with an injury. Justin uh, Evans, the Eagles uh, respective safety, he's listed as questionable uh, for the game as well. Uh, Sidney Brown and wide receiver Quez Watkins are both listed as out. Give me a fill up the Eagles to win this game by the final score of 27 to 10. And my Cincinnati Bengals go to Nashville, Tennessee to take on the Tennessee Titans battle of two, one and two teams. The Titans looking their uh, wounds coming off of their uh, domination of a defeat at the hands of Cleveland Browns in Cleveland last week. They returned to host the Bengals coming off of their first win of the season earlier this week at home against the Rams on Monday Night Football. Bengals two and a half point favorites. I told you guys that, listen, the Bengals, they have to build off of their victory, you know, and no sluggish, no uh, sluggish, unaccepted, you know, false start penalties on half to half third down that sets the drives back. You know, T can't have T Higgins dropping passes up and right that hit him right in the numbers, that hit that hit him right in the hands. Gotta be able to catch the football, T. And like I said Tuesday night, say it again, the Bengals, uh, the Bengals gotta be able to run the football well and consistently. Uh, you know, having Burrow again on the bad calf 35, 50 times a game, that's not a recipe for long-term success this season. Got to be able to run the football, get your mixer involved, and pound the rock and keep and protect your bro and keep him upright. Uh, er, Charlie Jones, the Bengals' uh, kick return special, kick kick and punt return specialist, who has been a complete breath of fresh air for him this season, was listed on IR with the thumb injury, so he'll be out the next four weeks, which absolutely stinks. Just when the Bengals found themselves a return man, they lose him uh, for the month of October. Irv Smith listed as out for the game for Cincinnati. Akeem Davis-Gator listed as questionable. Joe Burrow went through an entire week of practice clean, full participant. He's good and learned to go. Uh, Traylon Brooks, Peter Skaronsky, uh, Elijah Molden, Luke Gifford all listed as out for the Tennessee Titans heading into the game on uh, on uh, Sunday afternoon in Nashville, Tennessee. Bengals two and a half point favorites. I'll hold my breath in picking to win this game by the final score of 24 to 24 to 14. Moving things right along with the 4 o'clock games. The Vegas Raiders go to SoFi to take on the Los Angeles Chargers. Chargers coming off of their first win of the season in Minneapolis. Taking care of business against the Minnesota Vikings. Meanwhile, Vegas coming off of their Sunday night loss at the hands of the Pittsburgh Steelers last week. Uh, they have uh, Max Crosby uh, and Nate Hobbs and Jimmy Garoppolo listed as questionable for Vegas coming up on us coming up for the game on Sunday. Derwin James, Yane Leonard, uh, Austin Eckler all listed as doubtful for the Chargers. 
uh, Corey Lindsley and JT Woods are, are both out for the for uh, Los Angeles. Mike Williams on uh, IR with a season-ending ACL injury that he suffered in the game on Sunday afternoon. Chargers four-and-a-half-point favorites. You think, you would think, the Chargers would find a way to win this football game mighty, uh, or excuse me, rather soundly. Give me the Chargers win this game by the final score of uh, 28 to 21. The New England Patriots head to Jerry's World to take on the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys coming off of their first loss of the season in Arizona to Josh Dobbs and the Cardinals. Penalties galore, as we discussed on Tuesday. Uh, undisciplined Dak Prescott, horrible red zone interception uh, to seal uh, the Cowboys' fate last week. Meanwhile, the Patriots getting their first win of the season because the Jets are completely inept. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys six and a half point favorites uh, against uh, against Bill Belichick's squad. Zach Martin, uh, Peyton Hendershot, and uh, Tyler B. Diaz are listed as questionable. Tyron Smith listed as out. Uh, Jonathan Jones, Sean Wade, Christian Barrymore listed as questionable on the Patriots side. Expect the Dallas Cowboys to bounce back with a 31-21 victory on Sunday in Arlington, Texas. The uh, Arizona Cardinals go to San Francisco, who's had a mini bye week off of their uh, of uh, of them uh, that has had a mini bye week themselves. Uh, with their with them playing, why in the hell do I keep on stammering and stumbling? It's very annoying, very frustrating. 49ers mini bye week last played on Thursday Night Football. There, see, there you go. Meanwhile, Arizona half mentioned uh, last week uh, with their uh, first victory of the season over the Dallas Cowboys. San Francisco 3-0, 14-point favorites trying to prove the 4-0 on the season, and I think they'll do so. San Francisco will win this game by the final score of 35 to 14. As the Kansas City Chiefs go to MetLife Stadium at the Meadowlands, they're nine-point favorites. Zach Wilson was atrocious last week. They signed Trevor Simeon onto the practice squad. The Jets did, that is, as the Chiefs trying to make it back-to-back victories to improve the 3-1 and one on the season. Uh, Nick Bolton and Jalen Watson are both listed as out. Meanwhile, the Jets' Tony Adams and Wes uh, Schweizer are both listed as out for the Jets. Uh, did the motivational uh, tactics by uh, Gay, will it spark uh, some life underneath the Jets? Only time will tell, and we shall see come Sunday night. I expect the Chiefs to just beat the living piss out of the Jets in that overrated team. And Zach Wilson, who is atrocious, give me the Kansas City Chiefs to win this game by the final score of 42-2-3. And finally, the Seattle Seahawks make a trip to the Meadowlands themselves on Monday Night Football to take on the New York Giants, who, like the 49ers, have had a nice, healthy 10 days off. Seahawks favored by a point and a half. Seahawks coming off of uh, their uh, second, win of the, second win of the season over the Carolina Panthers at home last week. Giants fell to their uh, fell to one and two with their second with their second loss at the hands of the uh, San Francisco 49ers. Daniel Bellinger, uh, Andrew Thomas, Saquon Barkley, all this is questionable for the Giants. 
uh, for the Seahawks, Jillian Love, Quandre Diggs, Trey Brown, Kobe Bryant, Jerron Reed, all listed as questionable for the Seahawks. Seahawks uh, favored by a point and a half, giving the Seahawks to win this game by the final score of 27 to 14. And those are your week four picks against the spread. Well, I think we covered it all. NBA offseason uh, movement with uh, Kawhi, offseason movement with Kawhi Leonard. Uh, you also uh, have some college football on the weekend. The Chew One coming up on Saturday. Of course, week four in the National Football League. Some pennant chase baseball with the American League wildcard still being up for grabs. Uh, still being up for grabs uh, in terms of the fifth and sixth seed. The AL West Championship yet to be decided, and of course the sixth seed and on the National League side of things with the Cubs, uh, with the Cubs, Reds, and Marlins all trying to find and excuse me, fight I should say to extend their season for another forty for another uh, forty eight to seventy two hours. So that is another episode of the Amatel. I can tell you, is podcast in the books. We thank you, Michael Babchick, for coming on. A uh, shout out to him. Follow him on Twitter and follow him on Twitter at Babchick. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Threads at the J Shield. Have a great weekend, everybody. Stay safe. Be blessed. Talk to you Tuesday. Y'all take care. See ya.